Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 109 of the Galen Trombley Show. Um, not every day do we get an A-lister in the studio, um, but here we are, and he made a long trip down. Actually, no gate now, which I'm excited about. Um, Andrew Lamonto, partner, financial advisor, Lamonto Provost Financial Planners, financial advisors. Um, I should probably say financial advisors. That's the, ter- the technical term, LP. Um, got a nice golf shirt with the LP logo on it. Did you come up with the logo? Oh, and- Andy Lamonto, everybody. Thanks. Say hi, Andy. It's nice to be here. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Thank, thanks for the lead-in with the, about the golf shirt. We changed our logo, actually. So I know. we're going to have to get new golf shirts. You know how many people asked me if that was for Lake Placid? And then I told them it was liquid propane. So I just said we were team liquid propane, but it's it's LP, Lamont Provost. Nice shirt, so quality. The shark. The sh- the Greg... The uh, I saw a photo of him the other day. I saw the same photo, and I don't know if it's safe to... We can't well, put a, we can't, we can't put a photo, photo on a podcast, can we? This is all. Nah, well, okay. I, in the future, I'd like to. Okay. But um, the, the thing I wanted to mention about that photo is not what everybody's eyes were directed towards in the photo. The cute dog? The, the cute dog on the beach. But um, Greg Norman's in great shape. Still. Like physical shape. I mean, like. And he's the in guy's his 60s? 60s? He, he's. Uh, I don't know what he does. Is he still in Australia? I don't, I don't know where he is. But the first time I saw Greg Norman, the only time I saw Greg Norman in person. Was that the PGA and Winged Foot? 2006? No, 2000... It was six. I think... I, I just know this. 2006 was Winged Foot. US Open? It was... No, the PGA Championship. So, like, it was It was sometime between 1998 oh, and yes, 2000, 2001. It was, like, 97, 98? Yes. And all I remember is how little this guy looked and how big his shoulders... And forearms were, and kind of like a Paul Casey, but smaller, like a slighter guy. Did so? You've seen a pro tournament, obviously PGA. Have you been to more? Uh, that was the only one I've ever gone to. Did you find? I've been to a few. Golf is the only sport that I've ever seen live that I can relate to the players because we play it and how good they actually are. Like every, I always tell people, if you've never seen a pro hit a golf ball, take the equivalent of like the best golf ball you've ever hit in your life. And that is their every shot. And that is actually probably their missed shot. Yeah. I, the, the, Am I fair to say that? My, the biggest takeaway I have from that PGA was sitting there uh, drinking beer in the grandstands behind the driving range or the practice range and watching Larry Mize, who's, you know, at that point in his career, he was older, you know, and he just ended up, him and his caddy ended up being right in front of us in the grandstand. And watching him hit probably like an eight iron. And he was like irate for half an hour hitting these eight irons, screaming at his caddy, trying to correct everything. And the eight iron just had like, I don't know, three yards of cut in it. But all the balls that he was, was hitting, they were, they were all landing within three, four, five yards. They, they all would have probably dropped in a, in a hula hoop. But yet he's just beside himself that he's got a little bit of just a little bit of fade in this shot. 
So he was trying to hit a straight shot or a, or a draw or something. Yeah, and he was no, he was trying to work. I guess he was trying to work the fade out of it. And I'm sitting here watching him hit 80 balls that all landed within. Yeah. 80 balls that you or I on a Wednesday morning would be like, that's the greatest shot of my life. It's on the green. I'm, it's on the green. I got a, I got a chance for birdie. Yeah. And I'm watching Larry Mize, who's in the back of the pack. He's not, you know, he made the cut, but he's not in contention. And he's, you know, just beside himself that he can't get this wrinkle, the fade out, out of the shot. It, and and these are these are shots that if, if they all look like great shots. Like he could have hit it and turned around and been smiling. I'd been like, yeah, yeah, great shot, Larry, you know. Um, do you find if you were a professional golfer, you would be the same way? So I, I was not professional level, but at bowling, and I had an injury with my, to my elbow that I did. Bowling? Yeah. So I was really... Did you go to Bowling Green? No, no, no. At the game of bowling. Rolling, oh, you know, bowling. Ten, ten pins. Oh, ten oh, pins. That was about golf. Okay. No, but I'm saying I, I was really good at it. Like I excelled at it. Um, and I think, I think the last time I... I, I I don't really remember when it was before Joey was born, so he's eight. But about ten Joe, years ago, smart. My, my son, yep, uh, uh, our son. So I haven't bowled in like ten years because of you know, my my, my elbow is kind of mangled. I don't really want to have the surgery because it's like a fifty fifty surgery, and you know it might not work. Um, but anyways, I was not like professional level good, but to a person like you're saying about golf, to a person who didn't know the difference between like the best player in the world or the tenth best player in the world and me, if we all were out there together. Uh, they they would think that you know I was one, you know as good, as good as those guys at, at some, really? yeah at some points you know um, if they didn't really know like about the lane conditions and competitive you know, any, anyway so I can kind of relate to bowling like you're saying you know to golf because I, I I play how many it, perfect games and it's you have? that I I mean I mean have you lost count I don't so. 40s or 50s I don't know 40 or 50 perfect games yeah so it's not like hole in ones. No, I, I know it's a little more bowling, frequent because of the technology in bowling. Like yeah. what happened in like 1940, nobody got perfect games. One or two, you know, in New York State, like a year maybe in the 1940s. In the 1980s, you know, the number went up exponentially. But then from the 80s till now, because of the technology and then the rules of um, the rules of bowling, like in and, and, and making the game easier, technology. You know, you know, kids that are 13, 14 years old get get perfect games. Is this because of the way the ball can spin? It's it's two things, the the ball, the the mass in the center of the ball, the called the weight block, the cover the cover surface of the ball, how it grips the lane, right, and then the lanes themselves. So so how they, so a lot of people don't know this, but like there's there's an oil or a synthetic oil put on the lanes to condition the lane, mm-hmm. right, and and the, and the oil can do a couple things. It can make your ball slide, and then when when the when there's there's no more oil for the ball to slide on it. it, it hits wood or a synthetic surface and friction, more friction gets created and that allows it to curve or hook, right? So um, the oil can be put out there in a way to make your ball slide when you don't want it to slide and hook when you, when you want it to go straight or curve when you want it to go straight, or it can be set up in a way to make the ball slide a real long ways and then hit friction and turn sharply and really be able to destroy the pins. And so bowling has really, um, like in, 19, in the 1970s, for example, if you average 200 in a league, Right. Yeah. That was a big deal. Now, um, like my last year at North Bowl, uh, like on the Monday Night League, there were myself and, and two or three other guys were over two thirty, and it's not because we were good; it's because the, the the lanes were conducive to scoring. And so that that's one of the hardest things about bowling as a profession is 
there's there's guys and, and, and women at home watching watching PBA bowling on Fox or ESPN, and they're watching them on competitive lane conditions that they don't really understand, and they're watching them win with like games of like two ten two twenty, and they're like, wait a minute, I just read the Press Republican, you know, ten guys Monday night at North Bowl had seven hundred for three games. That's a, a two thirty average. Like why you know these, these pros aren't that good. So that that's one of the things that has hurt hurt bowling over the years as as being recognized as a sport is the fact that like you and I watch the U.S. Open or watch the Masters, and it's like we'd be shooting 140, yeah, 100, you know, easy. We, right, right. So uh, bowling, it's not that understandable as, as how they trick up the lanes for the professionals. So they make it harder for the professionals. Yes. So, so if you go to North Pole right now, they, do they purposely go out and try to manipulate where things spin and stuff, do you think? or Yeah. They want to make it more well, accessible and enjoyable. Well, well, look at just like Bluff Point. Mm-hmm. They don't want us to go out there Wednesday morning and lose every ball, except for that one, one day we played in the wind like that after the storm. Well, we did, but, but you found 80. And I, so we were and, net, and, I, and I got poison ivy. We were net like yeah, six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two months of poison ivy. That was, yeah, was worth it. Worth it. Yeah. Uh, I think we got a strata out of that. <laughs> so pin, pinnacle rush. Pinnacle rush. <laughs> if you believe that that's a ball, if that's a real ball. Uh, it's so, first time I actually heard that was a ball. Well, every, we just, everybody. Galen, Galen, Galen accused me. No, of so cheating. I didn't accuse you of cheating. Yeah, I, I was giving you a hard time. We're on, no, no. We're on the twelfth. No, we no, have no, a no. We have we're, a we're on the we're on the twelfth hole playing Bluff Point. We play in the morning. We kind of had a pretty consistent morning group, me, you, and Coda, and we'd go out. And I think on the twelfth hole, you, you, I don't know, sliced one out into the woods, and you were playing pretty good. And you were finding all these golf balls, and you came out of the woods and basically said, "I found my ball. It's a pinnacle, pinnacle rush. rush." One, my father-in-law bought them for me two, so, Christ- two Christmases ago. I have been out of golf yep. for many years. I've never heard of a pinnacle. Ru- I've heard of pinnacle. I've never heard of pinnacle rush. So I was giving him a hard time thinking that there's no way that Pinnacle Rush is one, A, a ball, and two, if it is, it's like the old uh, the old strata, you know, long distance or whatever that nobody actually would play this golf ball. And you came out and said, so I was giving you a hard time with the ball you're playing. Not necessarily you found it because you'd found like probably 30, not like without exaggerating, 30 that day, 40. It was ridiculous. Because you'd come out of the woods with like seven or eight every single time. Like, how do you find all these? But Because we were looking. We spent most of our day in the it woods. It was a long round. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But back to your bowling. So why? So they make it more accessible. I know nothing about bowling. I'm terrible at it. Right. I've broken 100. I think my best score bowling is 160. And I want to preface that. That was a huge outlier, meaning my average score yeah. in bowling yeah. is probably 90. Yeah. I'm not good. And know what I learned in bowling you're only supposed to put your like fingertips in the ball. Yep. Like yep. just down to what? Probably the first knuckle. First knuckle. Yep. I always thought you had to like jam your fingers in and then just like really like just like like manhandle it down and it doesn't work. Right. You want it, it's like, you know it's a lot like golf. Where where less is more. Like, it's ho- all, like it's holding all... like holding a bird. Right. <laughs> That's what they, that's, that's, that's yeah. like a thing they say. You don't want the bird to fly away, but you don't want to crush the bird. That's you. it. Right. That's so it. so uh uh, bowling is all like using gravity and just technique and positioning. It's not really about strength and throwing it hard and, and grabbing on it. It's, it's really, I, but I you kinda, go and you kind of, you know, I see the guys like almost cup it in their forearm and they kind of put this like huge okay. slide or hook so, on it. So since I kind of like left bowling or, you know, whatever, uh, and, and stopped a new way of throwing the ball. And it's actually kind of like a controversial thing within the sport is the two hand release, putting only your fingertips in it, not putting your thumb on the ball. And holding it with two hands to create like violent rev- revolutions, RP- RPMs, it. and to really create that spin and that they call it a rev, rev rate, you know, revolutions per minute. Yeah. And that allows the ball to, if on some oil, uh, it allows the ball to slide a long way and then, and then create a big angle into the, into the, 
the first two pins. Yep. And if it, which know, is key, right? Which is the key. And if you strike that at a very, very violent angle and create a big turn at a, at a reasonably Spin high them. speed, the pins just explode. Yeah. So that's, that's a legal thing you can do? To grip it with two hands. Really? Yep. yep. So, yeah. So, I mean, because I guess I see people that aren't good. They go in like two hands, like th- almost like granny shot it down. Right. So this, but this is just a way to, I, I get what you're saying because you can they, obviously produce like a lot. This and, but that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, and it's semi-accurate once you get to it. It seems like it wouldn't be that accurate, but I guess it's, after time. Most of the two-handers um, are not that accurate. So what they'll do is, but remember, if, if you create that angle of entry, that, that big that big sharp angle, mm-hmm. you don't need to be as accurate as a, as a person who doesn't create a big steep angle because your ball is going to hit the pins harder on strike shots. So what, what some of the two-hand players do is they actually switch to one hand. They put their thumb on the ball to make spares because spares aren't about angle. You know, if you're just trying yep. to knock one pin down, it's about just repetition and hitting it. So, so they'll do so, the two hand on the first one, knock as many yeah, down as they can. And yeah. Clean up. So, so when I, so is when this I, on the pro level too, have you seen the, that? The, the two hand, no, oh no, the two handers dominate like the last 10 years, my guess is the, the most successful in terms of professional wins mm-hmm. and wins around the globe at top, like money tournaments. Um, the, the top guy is a two handed player from Australia by the name of Jason Belmonte. And he just, he's changed the sport. He's, he's literally changed. So he's like the Bryson DeChambeau. More than that. Because Bryson's, because nobody's using the same size clubs now like Bryson does. Yeah, gotcha. So it's like, because they're all, they all have access to the you, same, you know, it's you all know, technique. Right. More, you so, so Jason Belmonte is like the guy who started backflipping over the, going backwards over the high bar, the high jump, the Fosbury flop. People used to just jump over it, like run up and jump over it head first. Gotcha. Oh, and yeah. he started going backwards. That's what Jason Belmonte is saying. Hey, look, everybody, you're doing it wrong. You got to do it this way. He didn't, he didn't say that, but I mean, basically. Is he like a physics nerd? Like, is he one of these guys just like understands the science so good that he's just like, kind of like Bryson with golf? No. Uh, he, I think his parents owned a bowling center in Australia. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of like me, when you're young, you want to use a heavier ball to knock pins down. And he was probably using a ball too heavy for his size, so he could only grip it two-handed. And then, oh, so this is his natural, yeah, like growing up, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so, and he just he just stuck with it. And when people told him you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, he was stubborn. And now he cashes checks and says, ah, you can do it. See, look. So, are people jumping onto that? A lot of people do it. A lot of a lot of Americans. A lot of uh, so like the the group of and I don't follow professional bowling like like I used to, um, but I'd say it's it's thirty percent two handers. You know, in the age group of like under 30 years old. Okay. Because he's kind of like idolizing this guy. Right. But that, that group of, yeah. Yeah. So, so under 30 years old of the, of the top, like 30 year old people in the world, uh, 30 to 40% of them are probably two handers. How'd you get, how'd you get in the bowling? My, my, my grandparents, uh, built a bowling center in the 1950s in Johnstown, New York. And you just grew up playing? Yeah. So how often do you go bowl? Where would you go bowl? Like just weekends, like evenings. No, so when I when I got the bug, uh, when I got the bug for so for a while it was like it was like my third sport. Mm-hmm. Like you know you know after after baseball, see you know you know, the, you know in the spring you do baseball and then you play baseball summer long in the fall you know golf whatever you know and then and then bowling was like in the winter and then by the time I was so I treated it just like a regular sport. It might maybe fooled around in the fall or whatever, but just did it like seriously in the winter. Uh, and then by the time I was probably like a junior in high school, uh, I, I focused on it like all the time. So you would go almost every day? Uh, yeah, three, three to four times a week for sure. And then each time when you go, how many games do you play? So 
Because usually when I go bowl, I probably play two games. Right. So so no. So so I wouldn't necessarily like like try to try to score every time I practiced. Mm-hmm. I would practice things like throwing it this way, throwing it just like you would with golf at the yeah. range. Yep. Like you take way more swings. So would you have multiple lanes set up and you just keep ripping down different no, par- lanes? Pair lanes. You know, one pair of lanes. Yeah. You know, set and, and just work on what you're going to work on. Like and, and not, not keep score. Very seldom in practice keep keep score. How many how many, uh, how many many different balls did you use? Yeah. Because some people have multiple balls they can yeah, use. Yeah, for the conditions, depending on how much oil is in the lane, how much friction there is, you know. What, what. So you had multiple, multiple yeah, bowling balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you went into like a competition, how many balls can you use? So that's something that's changed. So now there's, there's, because they don't want technology to take over, mm-hmm. the certain tournaments will, will restrict. You can only have six balls, you know. This seems like a lot. Six, four. Uh, well, you want one to go real straight for spares. So with no, that one ball, it's not going to have, create a lot of friction. So you can just throw straight at like single pin spares. Um, but over the course of a long tournament, so what happens like in, in, in college, uh, you would have, let's say two teams of five players on one pair of lanes, right? Mm-hmm. And you would switch lanes. You wouldn't stay with the same team. You know, you'd move in opposite directions across the, across the bowling center, but they put the oil conditioner, the lane conditioner on in the morning, right? And you might play eight to 10 games and all those bowling balls are, are moving the oil and moving the lane conditioner all over the lane or taking it off the lane. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the amount of friction where, where you set the ball down increases as the day goes on. And the amount of the lack of friction where they stop putting the conditioner, whether it's 30, 35, 40, 45 feet down the lane, um, that can, some of that conditioner gets pushed down, down the lane. So the, so the back part of the lane becomes slick. So, um, you know, it's, it's, so you adjust the, the ball for that. Ball, hand position. So when you say six, that's six from start to finish. Like you can show up that day with six bowling balls. Six, eight. I mean, I mean. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. So you might not use them all. You might not use them all, but that's. So what'd you do? Did you bring in like multiple bags? Just like roll in with like a bunch of double yeah. bags? Yeah. So, so this is interesting. This is, there's always a thing with like airlines. I never do. Wow. This right. So, so I know this because, so, uh, uh, flying like out of like LaGuardia airport, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're. A carton of bowling balls, like in a, in a box, not in a bag, right? Weighs, if they're 16 pound balls, weighs about 65 pounds. And their luggage limit, most airlines' luggage limit was 70 pounds. So, what, what you do if you're going, going to a tournament that you got to fly to, uh, you might have a two ball carry on in a bag. And in your luggage, you might put um, a, couple, a couple totes inside your luggage without bowling balls in them. And then you'd seal up like you were going to ship at UPS or FedEx four bowling balls and you would check it as a bag. And when you checked it, they'd look at you like, well, what, what, what the heck is this? And you're like, bowling balls. They're like, well, that's not really luggage. It's like, it's under 70 pounds. Check it. Because the, cause the cartons. Uh, but that was always a deal, traveling. Wow. So yeah. you went and played tournaments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Okay. I, I just figured like, so if you roll, I mean, you, the guys that go bowling, they roll in with like a, almost like a hockey bag of, duff, of, of bowling balls. Yeah. That's crazy. I just thought you had like one or two. No. Well. Well, I mean, you right, could, but right, I didn't right. know you. Like, yeah, it's complicated. I didn't know golf. You golf, right. you get fourteen clubs. Right. But fourteen exactly. clubs are exactly. easy. They all fit in a bag. Right. And we all like no. Nobody looks at like my bag to your bag to another bag and think like he's only got ten clubs in his bag. Right. Does anybody? Do you know anybody that plays with under fourteen clubs? My son, he has a driver and a putter and a wedge. Yeah, the little three set. He's eight, so he hits it off the tee, and I let him carry the tee around and tee everything up. Yeah. And then when he gets within 50 yards, I hear, all right, sw- switch to your S club. What, what, when, when, did, when did Joey start? I, I've been taking him to the range probably three or four years since he was little. That's awesome. And this year, 
last year, my father, him and me went and played barracks, like nine holes. Nice. And this year he played, this was kind of awesome. We played bluff because, uh, you know, that's where we play, you know, me and yeah. Toda and he went, I want to go to bluff. I want to go to bluff. Right. So we played and for the first time he swung seriously for 10 holes. We played the front nine and we played number 10. So, we, oh, so he was actually like in he it. He was into it. Yeah. That's so pretty he's, cool. he's revved a little bit for next, for, for the spring to, to play. And he's play eight. Yep, yep. What, what, uh, how far out does he start? Like when, 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 like if you tee off and stuff, you tee off at like, do you have him go off at like 200? I have him play from the ladies tees. And just play consistently from there? And I, and I let him keep his tee with him. So he tees everything up until we get within like 50 yards of the green. And then that's about what he can hit with a wedge. Yeah. Or the, the iron yeah. or whatever. Yeah. That's pretty cool because I've seen, um, if you play at North Country, they have the, they call it like the play it forward tees. Mm-hmm. So they actually have like these two yellow or orange tees like down the fairway. You'll play the fairway and like over on the right side of the fairway, probably 200 yards out on a par four, they'll have the tees set up. Yeah. With the idea that if the kid can drive 100 yards, you know, on a par four or whatever, you right. know, it kind of tries to simulate right. golf a bit. Right. Um, I bought my son a three setter. Lefty, he's a lefty, and oh, Joey's uh, a lefty too. Is he? Yeah. What? what? So, did so, you teach him left-handed, or did he just did he just pick it up? He just picked it up. When he picked up a baseball bat the first time, mm-hmm. we didn't like. I think we just put it on the ground and put the ball on the tee, and said, "Go ahead and hit it." And he picked the picked the bat up left-handed and hit yep. it left-handed, and he's a left now. Now he throws right. Yep. But right's right-handed, shoots right-handed with you know basketball, but his right hand is definitely dominant. But he. Um, he had, he yeah, has, he has the same thing. Yeah. S- same like exact sides. You know, a, a lot of people, I I've heard this, uh, they want to face things with their dominant eye. And so perhaps your son, you know, oh, God. his okay. dominant eyes, his right eye. Yeah, yeah. And he wants that. His instinct tells him that he wants to look at the pitcher like that or look at the ball like that. Oh. I, don't, I don't, you know, that make, I've never thought about it that way. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'm left. I mean, I'm right-handed everywhere, but right. like everything I can do is from the swinging baseball, golf, hockey, anything like that. Tennis, forehand, bowling. Like, every, I'm just so right. I, my left is very useful. I'm actually, I'm better with my left foot than I am with my left hand. Just growing up playing soccer. Like, yeah. I'm very coordinated if we had to kick left or whatever. Um, but if it's like hand, it's like just bi- biomechanically terrible. Um, so, Andy, business. When we get into uh, the, it, give me your background. Where'd you start? Like, did you go right into financial uh, advising or? Yeah. So, so I graduated from college in 2001 and. My first position was at AXA Advisors down in Clifton Park, close close to my hometown. You know, as a financial advisor there, trainee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed the business side of it. I didn't enjoy the way, the hierarchy of, of, of that type of company, that type of firm. And uh, Stephanie and I moved here in 2004 so I could take a job uh, with Charter One Bank. Uh, to, so did you guys? Advisor. Did you guys move up here purely for that? Yeah. You, you, no ties to the area. No ties to the area. Okay. So uh, I, I got offered what I thought was an ideal position for me, and it, which which it turned out to be actually, mm-hmm. uh, and that was it. You know, banks get bought and, and sold and and whatnot, and uh, you know, eventually four years ago, it was time to do it on my own. Well, not really my own. With, with P, 
Provost. Oh, I was like, Pew. LP with yeah. LP. Yeah, yeah, with Hannah. So yeah, so so we, Hannah and I worked together at. Uh, I wasn't her supervisor, right? But like we worked together. She was hired mm-hmm. uh, to work in concert with me at at our, at our previous firm, and we worked very very well together. Uh, she she is in the business for all of the right reasons. She genuinely wants to um, help people and see them succeed. And be happy. Um, very empathetic towards, the, you know, people's financial needs and just the stress that, that mm-hmm. the finance. You say finance, and some people cringe. You know, so uh, yeah, we we had a great time at that firm, and and uh, I knew it's funny that that when you think about like a business partner, right? Like I would think, you know, prior to starting my own business, like t- you know, ten years ago or fifteen years ago, I'd think like, hey, you know, me and Galen would be good business partners. Mm-hmm. You know, both and you know, like golfing together, like drinking beer, like do you know, you know, what I mean? so so you think like your business partner, somebody who's like like your pal, and I mean, he and I are friends and everything, but like you'd think, you know, it would be great to be in business with Taylor, yeah. it wouldn't be, you know, you know, Coda, your great business partner, let's play some golf in the morning, let's drink some beer, let's, you know, let's hang out, you know, and uh, no, you know, I don't think Hannah, I don't think Hannah drinks beer, you know, she doesn't play golf, uh, but you know, great, great business partner, mm-hmm. um. But it's just interesting how, how it's, life, it's kinda, life works out. It's right? like the yin and the yang. It's like, well, when, are you a lot like uh, Stephanie? Mm. Like similarities, but there's yeah, some, yeah. yeah and yeah, like, think yeah. like me and me and Gene are, are we're, we're, we have some similar interests, right. but we have a lot of different interests right. and it just works. And I think we kind of balance, we're both pretty chill, but we balance each other. And I find even business wise, like I find that I gravitate towards people that you don't that aren't necessarily like your buddies that you hang out with. Like, but there's, it kind of allows you to have like escapism from both. Right. Right. Like if you, if you and I were going in the business and we played golf and we did everything together and did business together, it's almost to the point where it's too much where I think, right. it, you know, right. you have a nice, like yeah. here comes the train. Yeah. Here it well, is. Or like if, if, if speaking of the train and the train station, think of this, someone who I get along with very well and I admire. Imagine if Aaron Benner and I were in business together. Two people who only talk and don't listen. It would be awful. I mean, you come in our office and Ben and I would be talking, would, and the client who would, would like punch the f- person first. He, I don't. You think he punches? I think he punches you first. For sure. Why? Like every day? Do you think there'd be no? A punch not every, every day? day. I just, I just think that you would razz him enough, where he wouldn't razz you, but you'd razz him enough, and then finally he'd just be like, "I think Aaron's the kind of guy over you that would that would hold back." But then finally, he's just like he's like just pushed, pushed to have to do it, um, Andy. We'll get back to your work history in a sec, but what, what's your thought? We're going by a train now, and, and the thing is, you and I can both appreciate this. How much does this screw up your business, or you don't think it matters? Are you like on the because your 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 office is on this side? We both yeah. are, face the track. Well, I'll I'll tell you this. Since we moved upstairs, it's it's affected our business less. When we were right down oh, yeah. there, yeah, when, and we should have sold tickets down there every day, not every day, but once a week. Somebody would come in our office. Now we got the sign on the door of what we do. And they'd come in like, when's the train going to get here? And I'd be like, I'd be like, I don't know, probably like 20 minutes. Well, can I buy a ticket? Like, no, we don't, we're not affiliated with Amtrak. Well, can you call somebody for us? Like, we- uh, and the only way to get to your office is to go buy Amtrak. The actual office, Amtrak's that way, you know? Right. But did you find like... We were like a service for the local Amtrak office. We were like, we were like a liaison, did un- you, unpaid. Did you ever... Did you ever um, did you ever get down the train schedule? Like knowing when the train goes? 
You know, I, I think... Because it's not very... It's, it's, it, was, it was around, like, I think the one leaving left around one. Like, leaving town, going south, okay. le- left around one. And then the one heading to Montreal or Quebec City, well, you know, all points north. Um, I think that was, like, around three. And, okay. And it was always... The other th- the thing that was entertaining um, were people... And, of course, like, on the Amtrak tickets, the same instructions very much like airline tickets the same you know security instructions are published on amtrak tickets just like they are on, on, on airline tickets you know please arrive two hours before departure time oh. you know all this stuff and we'd have people who'd never been to plattsburgh before or you know flew in from texas had business in burlington then realized they had to go to new york city so they're going to take the train from here or whatever and they'd show up in a rental car like two hours before their train was going to leave the amtrak door was locked and they had like a look of terror on their face, like, what's going on here? And, well, I have to bring this rental car back to Enterprise. Can I get there in time for the train? Like, listen, you can go to the campus corner, have like a four-course lunch, dessert, you know, bring the car back to Enterprise, walk here. <clears throat> and that door's still going to be locked, bro. <laughs> like, like they're, they're not, you can get here five minutes before, like, it, it, don't, and the, and the people look at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, it, they're going to open five minutes before. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I promise. You're going to get on the train. You're going to get to wherever you're going. They're like, but the door's locked. I'm like, it's like sir, we, we. Yeah, it's always locked. You know, and then you'd ask questions. Like, where are you from? Dallas. Where are you from? New York City. Oh, okay. This isn't like that. It's not a full service station. You're, you're, you know. Yeah. So. I, I always found, though, I do like the aspect of being above the crowd. You know what I mean? Because like when you have the like days like the college kids all leave for college or go back for like a, a you know, th- I mean, right now, Thanksgiving break, sure. end of semester, uh, spring break, that place is packed down there, hard to find parking. Parking's a little easier up here. But then the other thing down there is when you're trying to, the amount of people that I just had like outside the door and it might be like you said, just, just walk in and be like, are they open? What time's the train? They've had those, those questions. Um, or just, again, just the amount, like you can just hear people out there talking. And like here, you don't hear anything. You don't hear people down oh, there. Oh, right, it's right. It's great. For sure. Down there, down there, I'd love coming back. Uh, you know, totally forgetting it was near a holiday or near the end of a semester. And I'd go home for, you know, because I live like a mile and a half away. I'd go home for lunch. And, you know, typical day outside of the holiday season, we're talking about four or five people getting on tops. Oh, yeah, five there's nobody. Getting, right? And then all of a sudden, you get in front of the building here and every parking spot's full and the lot's full. And then you come down the driveway back there and it's, there's like 200. It's like, what? oh, college. Yeah. They're coming, they're going. Um, but I, I like, you know, the college kids sitting outside of our door, smoking a joint, waiting for the train. Yeah. And then like they see me, you know, get out of my car and I got a suit on and they're like hiding the thing. Like I'm like, like this is what the FBI is doing today. <laughs> like <laughs> we're cracking down. The narcotic we're, scene we're, is. You know, you know they're, they're stomping the thing out and they're all scattered and looking at other directions. And it's like, it's like, guys, guys, like, like for, first off, if you're really that worried, there's woods over there. Yeah. That you could go, you could go, you know, no one would notice you. <laughs> Don't stand right in front of the door of a business. You know, Hannah's inside at her desk looking out the window at him. They, they got no problem with her, but I could walk about, what do we, what do, we do? <laughs> Did you still come down and park back there? Yeah. Well, well, when it was that packed? Yeah. No, I would park, you know, I'd, I'd do like a little Yui. Yeah. And then park. Which is not a good, it's not a good parking lot to do a Yui with a lot of people. Oh, no, I would go down to like the boat basin. 
Oh, you just skip it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Just, just come I've back. come down a couple times and I've had to spin around there because yeah. I've just oh, like, because right, right. I just turned and committed. I'm like, I got it. So, um, okay, so you moved up here. A lot, a lot of exciting stuff though down the, down the just, oh, you see there, all kinds come off of that, you know, off of that train. So actually, the funniest, well, not the funniest, it was kind of creepy. So I, I go, when we were moving up here, it was June 1st of like 2019, we're moving into this space, coming from that spot, we're running stuff up you know, from the middle all the way up here. And I go back, I leave the door open, unlocked. And I don't have a lot of stuff. I'm bringing like this table up, we're bringing some bookshelves, we're bringing some, uh, you know, paperwork here and that, this stuff. So I go down, open up the door. All of a sudden I hear someone in the bathroom. And I'm like, who's in the bathroom? Guy opens up the bathroom. It was a homeless dude. Oh, I say homeless dude, I don't know, wandering around the streets. Grungy looking guy. Had opened up the door, went in, used the bathroom, and I remember sitting there. I'm like, "Hello," and the guy was like, just mumbling. Obviously, like he was on some kind of drugs, and came out. Bathroom was destroyed. And I say destroyed, not like not like physically broke it, but just smelled. I think, I think we know. I think we know. Just oh, yeah. terrible. He didn't smell the best, and that was the only time that someone like broke in. But it was we had left it open. So in the hour that we were moving stuff, right. if that, not even that, half an hour. But that was the only time I ever had someone wander into the, to, to the bathroom just randomly. And because uh, again, down there, my, you know my old space. It was like a one that, room. That was your old space. It was a one room schoolhouse, man, with a bathroom. Your old space was our old space. Oh, that's right. The incubator. That, that is where the firm was. I might, I might. Back in the fall of. There might be a. I might be able to fill that uh, little spot for Mr. Uh, Mr. Aaron. I think Benner, given what's going on on the the Bridge Street level now, and I'm not you know in any way tooting my horn or yours, but he should advertise the success ratio of businesses that were in the incubator. That were in the incubator. I didn't. I've never called it the incubator. He but he, he always referred to it as the incubator. He goes, "This is where the Monto was. Now you're there, and then you move out, and now nobody's there." So I kind of it's like almost like. I don't know what what power that little spot has, but it's not much to it. It's a, it's a functional for what we needed. How you guys had two people down there? Like, there's not because I use the same desk, but I use the desk, not because you both use the desk. We were on each side of the desk, facing inward, like facing like on the the ends of each, or just kind of kitty corner. We faced each other, like we the long way, just like yeah, just like you and I are looking. But you didn't have the big desk the between. Door, we had it sideways. Yeah. And so the client, literally, Han and I would like turn our chairs towards the door, and the client would sit at the end of the desk. And we're like, "All right, let's meet." So, did you have it running from the back wall? Yeah. So you, you, one of you guys was up jammed against the window. One was against the corner. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. then, and then in between, and then you just had like an open space in between. They just like walked in and had a couple of chairs there. We had a little coffee table. A little. A little I did too. Yeah, little. Actually, a little. I think it was Hannah's grandmother's kitchen table. Nice wooden little. Yep. Table. And then we put... I gotta go look at your new spot. Because your, your old spot was nice. I thought you had a nice conference room. Did you ever use the conference room? Or is that more like private stuff? Like they wanted No, to- no. We used, we used the conference room. The problem is, is that you had to walk through the conference room to get to the bathroom. Mm. And because of the lack of space, the conference room also had our water cooler, our refrigerator, our coffee station. It wasn't... Uh, that office would be perfect if if we operated forever, like in the COVID era, where very few people come to the office, like right now. 
what what uh what kind of conferences did you have? Did you meet clients in there, or did they sit at your desk, uh, or sit across from your desk? It depended on how many people were coming in that day. So if we had like back to back appointments, we would meet like in the conference room gotcha. in case somebody had to come in and like use the waiting room. And that was the that was the big issue is that we didn't have. How uh, how do you guys work though? If you you and Hannah are both working together, are you talking to a client while she's working at her desk, and vice versa? Or do you guys work together? We work. We work. Like, is every client, both of your clients together? Almost exclude. Yes. Yes. So if a client sits down, they're talking to two of you. Yes. Gotcha. And most of our introductory meetings and fact findings uh, are done together. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if they're not done together, most of the planning work is done together. Or, 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 Or at the very least... We look at the data independent of one another to just kind of come up with how do we solve this issue or how do we get, how do we get this done? How do we get, you know, what the client wants done, done. So two minds thinking on the same thing and that's, um, yeah. Brainstorming. Yeah. Yeah. What's a normal day? Like what's a normal day at LP? Oh geez. There's no normal days. I mean, give me like a ballpark. Like I example for me, I usually roll into the office like seven, eight in the morning. Um, Maybe nine, depending on the appointment. I would say I'm usually on most days doing something real estate related by 8 a.m. Either I'm at an appointment or I'm here. This morning I was here at seven. Um, usually I try to work in the morning till about noon. Uh, I don't do a lot of podcasts in the morning, but I usually try to work in the office and not leave for the morning, get my stuff done. Afternoons, I kind of leave open for appointments. Evenings, kind of appointment only and and functions and then try to limit weekends and late evenings. And then obviously in between, it's the clients, it's working on projects. I'm working on some stuff now, podcasts, work on some stuff a little bit. Um, and then I have a meeting tonight with a couple of people and that's my day. I limit weekend stuff to zero. Although, although on the weekend, so a lot of, a lot of the, and I'm not saying I'm right about this, but, but the, a lot of our business is really like researching things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, fortunately, and, I, and this is just a suggestion to anybody out there, if I didn't like researching investments and doing like economic research and reading about these things, this would be an awful, awful job to try to do it well. So, if you're listening out there, find something that you really like doing and turn that into your career because uh, I, I do a lot of reading. Um, so, I do, I, do, I do read on weekends uh, but not like you know, I don't really talk to clients on weekends or anything like, like that. What do you read on weekends? Like what, what? Like as a financial guy, what do you? Yeah, what do you read? So, cover to cover, not including like the data section. I mean, I skim the data section for the things I'm interested in. But cover to cover, Barons every week. Um, Is that a weekly report? Yep. Okay. It's a weekly. It's a weekly financial periodical. Um, so that. Uh, I get Bloomberg Business Online, which I read that almost cover to cover uh, every week. And then uh, the company we aff- affiliate with, so Hannah and I are, you know, are, are on our own, but we're supported by a company called Securities America, which is part of Advisor Group. Uh, they send, you know, 100 pages at various times of week of, of just analyst notes, strategy updates. Things like important things that they think we, you know, so, so that's, I I do, I do a lot of reading. 
Um, lot, a lot of reading, a lot of staring at computer screens. Um, that was one of your, before we went on, uh, you were talking about our, our office manager assistant, Connor, mm-hmm. Connor, who's uh, a great student. I think he's second. I could be wrong. Uh, but I, I believe he's either first or second ranked in the finance department of, of, of sophomores. Or so he's a bright bulb. He's a good, good guy. He'll be number one by his senior year. He's got to be. I would expect it. I'd, I'd expect I was going to say. Uh, especially. He's with, a nice kid. I like right, him a lot. Right. Yeah, me too. So, nice so we're sad. You know, uh, I'm very sad that the that, that, that school had to be cut short. Because he had to go home and he really can't do what he does for us from home, you know. Uh, he took care of a lot of, lot of, lot of things for us. Tied up a lot of loose ends and uh, made made things a lot easier. Did he ride his one wheel to see you? He might listen to this. He he he. he he's taking the one wheel to work. He 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 he. he, he, he uh, well, he likes a lot of my stuff on social media, and I've talked to him. But he, I told you, he showed up one day in a yeah, one wheel. Yeah. It was great. I hadn't seen him in a while, and even though he works next door, we don't see him that often. Nice kid. But rode the one wheel, which I was impressed, and then I had him ride it down the hallway to show me. And of course, he just went like like so smooth. And oh I was yeah, like, I didn't even attempt it. Oh yeah. Um, so I just didn't know if that was like his mode of transportation on like a nice day, just one wheels it down. It's kind of cool if he does. It is. It's it almost is. like Clark Kent. He's got like a suit on. He's just one wheeling it. We we stopped by here. I see we uh, Joey, who's either I picked him up from school or he had remote that day because he's in the hybrid model here in Plattsburgh. Uh, but at any rate, we stopped by here one day to grab a few. I had to grab a few things, and then we're going to go to the co-op, and then we're going to go home. And so Joey comes in with me, and Connor's here, and Connor's bike's in the hallway. And uh, Joey's Joey like, whose it. bike is that? I said, it's Connor's. He's like, he rode his bike all the way from the college? I'm like, Joey, it's, it's, like, it's like four miles. I'm like, think, think about it. It's not that. It must take him a couple hours to get here, he said. You know, and I'm like, no, Joey. So Joey and I was like, he, I said, Joey, I said sometimes because Joey, a kid in our neighborhood, has, has a one wheel. And I said, Joey, I said Connor takes the one wheel sometimes to work. And his mind was just blown that Connor takes the one wheel all the way down, you know, Ruger and Broad. Broad, yeah, yeah, and just mind blown they could go that far on a one wheel. I wonder how fast the one wheel goes. Oh, Connor, told 20, me. 20 miles an hour. I, I think twenty twenty five. It, it which, goes. which is clipping it. You're literally on like balancing on this wheel. I know this. You probably don't want to fall off at that speed. Yeah, and I I didn't want to even attempt. I tried to do uh, I tried to hop on one of those uh, hover is it hoverboards. Doesn't say Segway hoverboards that the kids doing nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And they put two feet and you yep. hop on it. Yep. I thought I was gonna break my neck just trying to step up on this because you have to you have to commit to it. But once you once you get used to like stepping up and going, it's easy. But when I was like putting one foot on and trying to plant a foot, you basically have to just like one to it and just go go. And I was like, "This is not happening." Because I could, like, I wouldn't attempt it. I, 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 yeah, I didn't really do it. And then I see like this like, people I was with, their daughter hops on it, and she is just ripping down the road, turning, going backward. I don't know if you go backwards, but she's doing all these like moves, and I was, I can't do it. Too old. Don't trust it. I got, I got, I got to stay. I'm brittle now. I'm brittle, Andy. So I have, I haven't been on the. I, he kind of wanted me to get on it. And I had like shoes, nice shoes on, a suit on. The loafers? No, they were these are like like you know, nice heel, you know, big heel. I'm like, no, no, I got I got to come back one day when I have sneakers and a helmet and some elbow pads. And so I just try it. I'm like no, hip pads and pillows and. So getting back to my, my day, like what my typical day. Is. Yeah, so, give me your day. So you, I'm, you read a, I'm a lot. Big, I'm a so read a lot. So uh, Monday through Friday, I I don't know if I do this instinctively, but but Mark Cuban said you know do this and 
Cubes is a I like pretty Cuban. smart guy. Yep. But uh, first thing in the morning, check my emails. If some of the, I want to know what's going wrong. If one of my clients has an issue, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to get right to it. Uh, that, you know, take the dog out. I, I try to, I try to run a little bit. It's, it's a lot less now that it's getting colder. Um, try to run and then, uh, try to keep an eye on, uh, any, any news with any company, uh, any, you know, any, we do a lot of individual fixed income investing. So, so bonds, um, so any any noise coming out on any of those companies that might affect prices or, or companies whose bonds we want to buy, but but just you know the price isn't where we want it to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we, we take a look at that. So I'll, so we so I take a look at the watch list uh, every morning, very early, uh, to see what's going on and uh, try to reserve the first part of the day. So 9 a.m. to maybe 10:30 for just what's going on with the markets. What do we have to address? Uh, do we have any bonds coming due, maturing? You know what, 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 what we got to do with our clients' portfolios, and then meet with people. Um, you know, ten thirty, on. For the, for the rest of the day. And just review it. Uh, review your findings. They come in and do like a quarterly or month or yearly review. Uh, or just or you know, you know things are always ha- you know this is kind of you know Hannah and I joke about this about business, um, but. You know, when you first start out, I'm sure it's the same with real estate, right? And I don't know if you did this on a podcast or we're just making a joke on LinkedIn or something. But, uh, you know, when you first start out, you've got no clients. You wear a suit every day. You're trying to sparkle. And then as time passes, you show up like me and you were you know, dressed today. You know, I right? dressed up. Right, right. So, so uh, there's always something happening. And when you have five clients, right, the chances of you getting a referral are very, very, very slim. Somebody's not going to die every day. Somebody's not going to like get inherit money every day. Decide that this job isn't for me anymore. I want to retire. I want to leave this job and become self-employed and start my own business. I want to face, you know, so so these things don't happen. But but the next thing you know, you know, if you if you re- reach critical mass uh, of whatever number that is, number of clients or assets under management. A lot of a lot of people measure our, our business uh, by assets under management. Um, once you get to critical mass, things happen, right? People inherit money, so so there's always it always seems that that the phone will ring three or four times, like this week for example. Got a message, my father, my stepfather likes you, likes you guys a lot, says you do a really good job. I need to get serious about retirement planning. Uh, we, we had one of those, we had another one. Um, settled my divorce. I need to plan this out. Not a client of ours, but but uh, uh, you know, got divorced. I want to make sure that I'm hard charging for a comfortable retirement on my own with with, with how things are now. Mm-hmm. You know, help me help me plan for this. Uh, and then we had another call. Oh, another call. Existing client um, inherited a piece of property. Tricky camp out in the woods. Um, place sold. Finally, after two years. And you know what? What are we going to do with the money now that the the you know the estate's been closed and the property's been sold? And you know what do we do? So like three phone calls of, hey, I want to potentially become a client. I want advice. An existing client saying, I, I you know I need something. And then the other part of uh, client outreach and the, and the clients don't necessarily know that they need to do something. And, and this this has been uh, it was this was like five hours of of the last two days for me, reaching out to clients to let them know about. Um, the potential 
well, the realized and the potential capital gains from this year, because because despite the recession and pandemic, um, certain stocks have done very, very, very well. Certain types of investments, have, you know, technology has been awesome. Um, online retail, like Amazon's been been awesome. I guess their technology too. Uh, the work from home stuff, you mm -hmm. know, so to speak. So so we're trying to prepare clients for. Okay, we, it looks like you're going to have this this type of taxable gains, you know, you know, for the end of the year. What what are we going to do to offset these gains? And just having those discussions uh so that was that was like five hours of phone calls the last two days reaching out to people to say all right this is what we project for your your, your long-term capital gains this year how do you want to address it um do you do you guys get so you're saying mo most of your um so so i just so, so han and i are very 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 proactive in terms of reaching out to our clients and trying to let them know what we see happening and making sure um we you know, we're, we're on the same page or they know what's coming because people don't like, like, look, Hannah and I can't control interest rates. We can't mm -hmm. control oil prices, copper prices, wheat prices. We can't, we can't control corporate profits, right? But what we can do is, is, is share insight and let people know what's going on because lots of people, um, you know, finance, the reason that our clients is finance isn't our passion. Finance, finance is, is, is going to help them do the things that they want to do, whether it's retire, spend more time with their grandkids, whatever, you know, build a house, two, two houses, retirement house, um, work for themselves one day, you know, stop working here and then go start their own business, whatever. Uh, so, so we try to stay on top of it and let clients know what's going on so that they're prepared. Um, so nobody gets a 1099, you know, in, in, in February or March and their accountant tells them, Hey, look, it's gonna be a $10,000 tax bill. And, and, you know, we didn't let them know, we can't let them know the tax bill's coming, but we, we, we feel like it's on us to like let them know, hey, look, at these capital gains are, are realized. You're going to have a tax bill. Talk to your CPA about how to offset it, or let's look at some losers you have that maybe we could sell and harvest the loss. And um, Hannah and I pride ourselves on that. Do, do, you, do you run most decisions by clients before you make them? Or is it a lot of times, do you just, do people just say, hey, just kind of do your thing day to day? Like if you, had to make a, if you have to make a trade or drop something or buy something? That's client by client. And I would say, I would say that our business is about, 50% discretionary where the clients given, given a certain scope, a risk tolerance, a goal mm -hmm. that we have the discretion to do what we see fit without prior written consent or verbal consent. Mm -hmm. And the other half, you know, we're talking it through with the client and that's, that's, that's not, we don't determine that after the fact that's determined at, at the account opening at the, at the relationship starting process of, of, is this going to be a discretionary account or is it going to be an account where, where the client has to either sign or, or give verbal verbal authorization Do, to proceed. Is, is, is there an age range with that? Cause I think that people trending maybe more towards retirement would want to speak to you more often versus people that are early on, or is it kind of other people that open up accounts with you and want to know everything that's going on from 20 the, something the, years the, old to the, the ages. One thing that I just, I, I, you know, if your dad was here, he'd, I, you know, he'd probably just laugh when I say this. But the one thing I've, I've realized is, is there's no rule. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the account size. Um, I, we, I, I have some clients that, that, that literally, that tell me they, they like me, send, send Hannah and I a nice Christmas card, right? Want to play golf in the summer that have lots of money. I mean, like, you know. And I come up and say, well, this is what I think. And they say something like, I'm doing my business right now. I'm really good at that. 
I hired you because I don't want to think about it. Yeah. And then they hang up. And, and it's like, it's like, well, you know, we want, we need to talk about this. It's like, listen, you know, no, I, that, that's not why I hired you. And then, and then there's others and this is, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's others who want to be included in every, every decision, no matter how, how small. So, so it's really, um, and it, and it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with account size. Every, everybody's different. So it's just personality. I'm definitely the yeah. first that you said, I'm like, I'm hiring you. You do your thing. Like, well, like if, that, that's how I am very much about, about having, and then this is, you know, having, I'm going to say a guy or a lady like my cell phone. I don't buy my cell phone from a company. I don't buy a brand. I have a guy when my cell phone doesn't work. I call my guy and I take whatever my guy gives me. You know, I need a new cell phone. Well, what do you need it to do? This, 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 do you care about that? No. What kind of computers do you have? You know, we're we're running Microsoft. You're running office. What kind of, what kind of phone we got there? It's, it's whatever my guy Told me to get. You got to know your phone. No, no but, uh, uh, it's, it's an LG V20 or V40. I'm such an I'm such an Apple guy that I don't even know. I got Apple everything. Yeah. So at home we have my Stephanie and Joey have have iPads yep. and stuff, but we're all still using Windows based uh, like laptops. Really. And with our business, you know, Han and I, you know, Han and I have talked about this that if you decide. If one of us was going to get like a, an Apple product, we would literally have to go to the, the only way it would really work seamlessly in our business is if Hannah and I went to the Apple store and said, we need to become Apple people because of the way things, you know, you know, talk. Yeah. And that's a pretty big, yeah. it's probably, it's a pretty hefty bill, but it just seems like our scanner, all of the securities, America uh, technology that we have to, that we have to integrate. It just works better with Android or, or, or Microsoft systems versus versus apple stuff so so you know that that's where we are but but you know in terms of like what you're saying you know i want to have a guy you know my car gets scraped yeah i, I got a guy you know lacquer shop like Brett, you know well we could do this we could do that whatever it's like do, do what you do do what you're gonna do you know what I, mean? I you know and so uh i think i think that's that's kind of my mentality too is i have a guy i don't need to know how you're gonna fix it i want you just to fix it please or give me what you think is 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 the best so so in a lot of ways han and i are the guy for 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 people um and they're like you know my goals you know me mm-hmm. and 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 just just get it done you know what i'm trying to do here just just get it done um no i i i agree on all that um i, I think it's 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 definitely people that i have people that i work with that i just in everything even in, like down in my business like attorneys and lenders that i really like just because they're good at it and yeah. which i want the client to have working for the best people because if I recommend somebody that sucks basically then it's a reflection of me meaning because if they don't do because again we're in the real estate space we're so intertwined I'm so reliant on lenders and banks and attorneys that yep. if I re, if one of them is a weak link it breaks the whole chain and all of a sudden there's problems and I'm like I don't want problems yeah. and yeah and I need to have people that know what they're doing so we don't have problems um no so that that makes sense I'm all I'm all about the the guy the uh like Aaron and Chris, I mean, they're in our building. It's convenient, but for like, for like, you know, internet stuff, marketing. Yeah. That's a guy. You know, that's not, yeah, you know, that's a guy. You know, you know, that's, well, that's the thing. If I have questions, I go there. Yeah. Like if I have questions right. about like tech and stuff. I, I typically will ask, um, Chris about, so I, we did something the other day and I was asking about cameras and video and stuff and he's not very knowledgeable. Yeah. So, yeah. um, do you read the press Republican every day? So that's another thing I read every it's day. It's here. And I, I carried it in with me. Yeah. Can, I, can I see it, Andy? Let me see it. I haven't looked at the Press Republican 
in well I, I look at it I read it religiously up here you go through college but the thing is since the since I've like I would say I haven't got the press probably in the last nine eight to nine years consistently I love reading it I love reading the paper I just don't spend the time to do it I should get the paper you get the paper delivered here I do I should get it delivered here every day well you could you could use mine okay well and just, as long as you give it back to me. Well, yeah, I don't. I just want to glance at it real well, quick. I'm not gonna like gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna steal it from you. Well, so so because oh sorry, let me cut in real quick. Sure. I used to be a, a kid. I used to love like the sports section. I would only read the sports. And me honestly, too. Me as I've gotten older, I don't even look at the sports. I don't care. I don't know the kids. I don't really care about national sports. Like when I look at this, like Zerlo proposes 8.4 million dollar budget cut. Common Council splits still split on the budget. Something with Rosenquist urges Ward one election. Um, yeah, Mr. Barbell is, is resigning for great name. Some, Ira Barbell. He's a good guy. Family. Uh, he, and he's, he was a, his, his work experience and work history in public policy is, is just so awesome and so deep. And he's such a good fit for the council. And it's, it's, it's sad that, you know, he's got to leave, but he does. What was it you said? Cause of health concerns, family health reasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, but, but good guy, um, you know, voice or reason, uh, but he's he. Ira worked for some serious um, companies, like the 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 guy who founded UPS created a, a foundation in his. I think it's Ann Casey created a foundation in his mother's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy who founded UPS didn't have any any children, so he left all of his. I mean, you know, tons of money there. And the Ann Casey Foundation. I think it's the Ann Casey Foundation. Anyway. Ira ran this thing and, and it was all about implementing, going, going to politicians and trying to implement, you know, solutions that would benefit society, whether they were, you know, social services, public education. Uh, so, so super smart guy. He'll be sorely missed, I think. Um, but so one of the reasons I, you know, I, I like to get the press is just to know what's going on locally. Like, as I've often heard you talk to people about being in the mix you like that? You how how many of these have you listened to, Andy? You won't hurt I, my feelings because most people come on and say they haven't listened to them at all, which is fine. Well, so so this this is kind of and I expect a lot of downloads off this one. I I'm expecting at least four, maybe, maybe seven. You, do you know I since probably in the last two months I think I've, I say I've done 15 podcasts in the last two months. My average podcast right now I think is somewhere in the 40s, average. Well, they're going to see my name, and this is going to be in the twenties, maybe, 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 maybe the single digits. Maybe we've had a few in the twenties. Uh, We've uh, had a few over fifty, which is good. If you post my picture, probably under five. Uh, Okay, the good side. There you go. (laughs) So, uh, no, I I listen. I listen about being in the mix. I listen. So when I see somebody who I know and like, like, so for example, uh, when Podbean or Jellybean or whatever it is that that I have on my Podbean, Podbean, Podbean. I saw Galen Tromley show Matt Boyer like couldn't download it fast enough because I know I was going to hear some funny stuff. Uh, Great A, Hugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome so I, I, I love Matt, right? So, so I knew, you know, I, I know that's going to be funny. Wait, uh, wait, you talking about Matt? Which one? CDC Matt Boyer or Ghost Story Matt Boyer? That's CDC. two Matt Boyers. Okay. I, I didn't know there was. So I the didn't. Ghost Story guys Star. also named Matt Boyer. Okay, okay. So, Matt so Boyer. CDC. Yes. CDC. Uh, you know, I was. I think I listened to that one. You know, twice. 
He's just, great. Just hoping that he was going. I'm going to get him back on because he is. He's a. I, I love Max. I think. Great I dude. think you need to have him on, and not let anybody know it's him, and have him be like his French Canadian alter ego grandmother, and do that as like a 45 minute interview of. Does he can Does he play that? Is that like a Is that like a skit that he does? He did a. So this is, I think, the first year when Kevin from the Y retired. He also retired from being oh, the MC the, the Irishman of the, of the Irishman of the uh, Year. Kevin Colleen. Kevin Colleen. Right? Yes. So, yep. so, so I say Kevin from the Y because like, I say well, Kevin Colleen. People are like, who's Kevin Colleen? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin from the, the Y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, uh, I think that it was Matt's first year. And he did a bit where he wrote it. I mean, this is how funny. I mean, maybe, maybe I was the only guy laughing. But he did a bit where his French-Canadian grandmother wrote a letter to him or to his father or, or, or whatever about what was going on and he did it in her voice and it was just <laughs> I didn't want it to end I wanted it to go I wanted like Irishman of the Year lunch I thought it would have been, it would have been great if he just Roll kept right talking in. he's talking about your great, I can't even I'm not even going to try to do it but, but one thing is your grandfather has a very successful job in the cemetery he, he, he works over 2,000 men like you know, dead body. You know, and and the, I remember the the postscript was, P.S. I was going to tuck a twenty dollar bill in the card for you, but I already sealed it. <laughs> like all these little, <laughs> all these little, you know, she had all these little things to say, and 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 uh, it was it was just right. But he's he's just funny talking about uh, anything. He's great, and the amount of times he would like say stuff, and he would just like be, make jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And the amount of times he would like rag on Mark, which is great. I got to get Mark Barry. I want to get on on at some point when he's back in town. I might zoom him. I don't know. It could be good. Can like, you do a zoom? I was just going to ask. I got to. So this is the thing. I've had a few people ask, especially with COVID now, like mo- everybody's coming to the studio to do it. Um, the zoom I can do. People I know are doing zoom. I'm always curious to see what the content. I, I don't want it for the video. Um, I'm just curious to see what the audio would sound like. So what, I want to run my audio from my computer where I can download it directly on the computer, but I want to see if I can run it into this and would this pick up the sound better or does it not matter? I got to do a little research, but if I could, in theory, I could just have a bunch of different people on, which would be good. But now the other option is I could probably sit here on this mic, plug it in, have it plugged into the computer. Um, or do I just use, you know, my AirPods and do it? So we got to see, I got to see how that works. Um, but that would open me up to a lot more people. Um, the uh, do you like the Irishman of the Year breakfast? I I do because I know some people don't. I well, I am actually a big fan of it. I I think it's a blast. I'm I'm a fan of anything where it's like first thing in the morning. Yep. Where you don't have to like leave work to get there, and then you're looking at your watch like I got to get back. I got something going on, or uh, you know, because of Joey's sports, he plays like four sports. Like I'm not trying to like well I can't do it because he's got a. Baseball game, football mm-hmm. game, soccer game, basketball game. So I, I love you know early morning stuff like that. And uh, I mean Kevin was really funny, but I, but because I know Matt, yeah, and I just wonder what he's going to say next. Oh, they're great. I, I, yeah, and yeah. it starts at like seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. I love that because yeah. you're done by nine, and I'm like giddy up. I'm back just, here. By you know what? You know what? Just like our golf matches. Yeah, we're we're out there on the course before anybody's going to call us. At least, at least the first nine, ten holes. Yeah. No one's texting. Until Koda's on with China. No one's calling. It, it's, we, 
Yeah, I was going to say the between all of us. I mean, in Coda, just because he has like right. he's all over the world. Right. But uh, for the most part, I don't. I don't even really look at my phone too often during the round, because um, we play fairly quick. Because nobody's holding us up besides the mowers. Well, that's, and we that's, just go. That's the other thing. All of us are trying. You know, we're not we're not openly talking about it, but we're all going out there with the idea that we all have work to do that day, and that this isn't. You know, like I want to be done right by. We're usually done by about nine. Yeah, yeah. I'd say worst case if it's like that day we were looking for a lot of golf balls, probably nine twenty, because we spent a little yeah. more time than normal. Yeah, but we're all you know we're all trying we're all trying to get out of and there. we all score one stroke apart. Yeah, guaranteed every time. Yeah, so uh, so I like stuff like that, that 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 takes place in the morning. It's 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 much better. I like seeing a bunch of people early with a fun function that's yeah. not like business related. Oh right, and right. everybody's kind of in a mood just to like chill. Yeah. It's you're, all, you're in a good mood for the rest of the day. Yeah. Cause I, well, that's the thing. If I can see a bunch of friends and, and like people that I enjoy being around that early in the morning, get a breakfast, get a coffee, feeling pumped up. I usually end up tying it into like, I see people after too. Like I, I think the last couple of years, like a bunch of us have gone like get coffee after or go get like not breakfast, but go get coffee. Cause sure. obviously you had the just, breakfast yeah. there, but yeah. um, you know, we kind of just rolled into like something else after and it's a lot of fun. So I, I think it's good. I think Matt does a great job. Um, one of the very witty, very witty, um, jokes around a lot, has a good time. Um, this is one thing that I, when you were 20, would you say 21, you graduated college when you started to do finance? 22. 20, I was. Okay. So you're 22. Um, I was very similar in age starting real estate. Did you find you and I both were, were professional when we need to be, but I find that we joke around a lot and have fun. Yep. Were you like that at 22 and you got into finance? No. Okay. No. I was not even close to that. I was very stiff. What were you like? So I, so the people I worked for were like, look, at, everybody can see right through you. How old are you now? I'm 41. Someone asked me the other day and I said, I think he's 41. I got it. Okay, go. Sorry. Side note, but that's good. I, I, was, I was proud of myself. You look your age, Andy. You don't act it, but you look it. Thank you. There you go. So, so... I was conditioned, the people who trained me, my employers at AXA, they were like, look, you're 0-2. You've got no experience, mm -hmm. and you look like a child. And this wasn't just to me, to, to our whole like training, recruiting class, right? Yeah. They were like, when you go in front of a client, you will have a suit on with polished shoes, not a sport coat with a tie. It will be a suit. I mean, they, they, it was like, I remember one day a guy walked in with like a red shirt on, and like... I'm surprised he didn't get punched. Like it was like like three people like told him point like what are you wearing a red red shirt? What are, what are you a model? Like white and blue. The shirts come in white and blue. That was it. Like seriously, white blue and then like a gray or brown suit. Blue, black, you know something something serious. Like this, you know they were very about us looking professional. Uh, so yeah, I was I was you know afraid to to you know joke you know afraid to you know. I don't know. And, and then it's, it's funny how it seems so hard for 10 or 12. I mean, I would say, man, up, in, up until probably just five or six years ago, it seemed that we were like scratching and clawing for, for every bit of business, every account we opened, mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden one day, uh, it became like, you know, you'd have a meeting and... It would like dawn on you halfway that this guy's not coming in. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones are not here to kick the tires. 
they've heard something, they've read something, they've seen something. Mm-hmm. And they, they came in here because they, you're hired. Like you're halfway through the thing. And it's like they're not, they're not shopping for a financial advisor. They, they had their mind made up before they opened the door that, that you, were, you, were, you were the guy. And that whole shift happened like, you know, all at once. And I hope it, I hope it never ends. I, you know, I don't, well, I don't know, I don't know exactly what Han and I are doing, uh, but I, I hope that, well, we're, it, we're, you know, and, and, and that's just the amazing part of it, of, of this business is all of a sudden it, we, business just started coming to us um, that it was just amazing. And I, like I referral, word of mouth, walk-ins, stuff like that. So we, yeah, we, uh, when I started real estate, I was 20. Same thing. Looked baby face. I remember like, I didn't, I was like, I wore a shirt and tie. I didn't wear a jacket, but I wore a shirt and tie. Well, Galen, Galen, clients sitting there looking at me when I'm 22. What could you know about money? You have none. Exactly. And, and a client looking at you at 22, what do you know about real estate? You don't, you, you might live you, in a house. You live in your parents' house. Right. You, you live in your parents' basement. What are you, an expert? So, like- so, the, so the whole idea was, I didn't know anything. My knowledge was crap. I, the one thing, the one saving... Three things that I did really well back then, I I wanted to learn, um, but I was one of those people, if I didn't know the answer, I would say I didn't know, and I would ask, and I would get them the answer, and so number one was I, I, would, I, would, I would ask for the, or I'd look for the answer, so I'd get them the information, I'd get it back to them quick. I basically said what I was going to do. Right. I followed up with people very well. I was very organized. I, like, I had my clients. I had my CRM. I was like, I was organized. I called people. I, I, like, I told you I was going to follow up in a month. I would follow up in a month. Um, and then also I was just, I was, I was, I could read people very well. I was young. People were, I lost plenty of clients because they just, I thought, didn't know who they are. Didn't know who I was. So that, now fast forward 10 years, if I look at like, so these are all my, cl- like I got a board behind me that is basically who I have pending. So it kind of gives me a gl- like at a glance, I can see who's pending, you know, what buyer, seller, you know, is there price, seller concessions, things like that. If I go down through that entire list and figure out who those people are, I think my business this year, which is absolutely insane, is 90% or probably 90% Word of mouth, past client, referrals, sphere of influence, or people that see me on social media. And that's like, I, I don't get a lot of leads from online leads anymore. I use, and when I say online leads, um, a direct capture, like call, like reach out on Zillow and I get their name yeah, number. Yeah. These are people, like if I get an online lead, it's through Facebook, Instagram, something where they're, they're direct messaging me saying, hey. All right, they're using Facebook instead of picking up a phone. Exactly. Right, They're messaging right, me. Exactly. But right. the amount of people now that are reaching out to me to work with is has gone up tremendously, which is awesome. But a lot of it is all the work that you put in, word of mouth, doing a good job so people want to use you. People are coming around. My sphere has gotten bigger. Um, again, I still do what I'm going to say. I still have a very – I'm very or, detail-oriented with my uh, follow-up. Um, but it turns into when – you, when you said before about dressing up. Okay, I'm going to turn 31 this month. I have never in my life owned a suit, which I know sounds crazy. I'm not, I, I have to buy suits. I've been saying it for what years. Do you, what, do you, what do you wear to funerals? Not to be morbid. Um, <clears throat> I will wear dress pants, button uh, shirt, tie, either a sports jacket or if it's in the winter, like a pea coat or something like that. I don't, I don't have a suit. Weddings literally is like, I'll wear like, a, I'll wear like khakis and then I'll do like a blue sports coat. It matches, but it's not a suit. 
I have a suit. I know I need to go to suit. Where do you get your suits? I don't want to give you. No, we'll tell off air. Those industry secrets. We don't want to give those away. No, they're not. They're, I, I. So. Are you like a Brooks Brothers men's warehouse? So I used to be a Brooks Brothers, like when I was young, right? And I, and I was I was chubby when I was when I was young, right? Because I was working and wasn't working out and just just working late and eating like terrible food, drinking a lot of beer. Uh, I used to be a Brooks Brothers guy because of the quality, and then about. 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, they really started making everything to be like fashion fit. Yeah. Like they're right, slender cut. They're traditional fit pants. Like you couldn't put like the waist would be like three inches too big, four inches too big, but yep. like the, the thighs and the knees, you couldn't walk in them. Yeah. And that's like you're like these slim fit. I don't know who these people are that can wear like the, I'm the same the slim fit. Well, you've got big legs. I got you know, big. Right? Yeah. But like, they're not pa- fat, pants right. are pants are tight. It's right. tough because right. like my right. my waist so isn't anyway, that big. Yes, so anyway, I was I was a, a a Brooks Brothers guy, you know, like the outlet and just buying stuff when it was you know when they had when they had a big sale or whatever. Yeah. But they just really made all these things fashion. Um, there was a big when when this whole recession <laughs> happened because of the pandemic. There was a big thing online about Brooks Brothers potentially going out of business, and a whole bunch of people chimed in. Anytime there was like an article or a post about them going out of business and all the hundreds of years they've been in business and the history and how terrible this is and a whole bunch of people and you don't know, I don't know any of them, but post after post of they're not going out of business because of the pandemic. They're going out of business because they they made clothes for my grandfather that he loved. They made clothes for my father that he loved. I'm the same size as them and I can't fit into anything that they... So that they make. So I, I, I switched, I don't want to say I switched like exclusively, but just because of the deals, uh, uh, I buy a lot of stuff from Joseph bank, Joseph bank. So I got, I got to figure out where my, I get some suits. The, uh, I have some, I have some sports jackets and stuff or sports coats that I wear. Um, but I don't, I don't have to wear them a lot. So, right. so I, I, one of the reasons I like wearing a suit is cause it's simple. Yeah. You put a white shirt on, you put the belt on, you pick a tie out. You, you can't really, yeah. The jacket, the pants, Always match, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, I li- I like that, and I wouldn't wear. I don't think I'd wear a suit in my line of business because I find that real estate is a little more lax than like financing. But the difference is when we talk about like my style of dress, I I have progressively gotten more basic dressing over ten years as yeah. I've grown as like as I've grown yeah. more successful. My clothes have disproportionately gotten worse, and not worse meaning I I wear almost every day a variation of black jeans and a in a crew or v-neck plain t-shirt and if it's in the summer i'm wearing shorts and it's not i i just want one i want to be comfortable but the thing is if clients are coming to me they don't care what i look like because they're coming to me wanting to use me not how i dress where before like you had said we dress up because they don't want to use me and i got to give the perception we were we were in sales yeah like like 20 years ago well yeah you're right 20, 20 years ago I was in sales. I was selling me. Yeah. Right. Yep. Now I'm in investment management and financial planning. I don't, you know, Hannah and I don't do, if someone calls us and says, we got a, a you know, a bunch of college freshmen, we want you to talk to about financial planning. We mm-hmm. got a bunch of uh, elderly people. We want to talk about claiming social security. You know, we'll go do a talk, mm-hmm. right? We don't do any seminars. We don't do any like, well, obviously right now during the pandemic, but we don't do any, hey, you know, free cocktails from five to seven, come in and meet a financial advisor, you know, at Iris's or, or mm-hmm. Anthony's. You know, we, we, don't do any, we don't do anything like that. Um, and, and 
really the people like, like you're saying, if they contact us via the internet, it's because they've been seeing our pop-up ad or something like that on YouTube and their coworker or friend or neighbor said, Hey, that's who I've been telling you to go see. That's that Hannah's my lady, you know, give her a call. Yeah. You know, so we're not like, well, that's so, so at, at, at any rate, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I wear, I wear a suit because it's easy. And, and I, I think it's, it's funny that when you're trying to sell yourself, you want to look your best. And, and, um, I, you know, s- you know n- now it's not like, like you're saying, you're not, are, are you selling a house? Yes. You're representing the seller, mm-hmm. but, but that seller didn't pick you because you showed up in a fancy car and a suit and you seem, you know, they picked you because somebody else that, that needed a household, you sold yeah. their house and they're like, you know, get. or even if they see a video online, right. I'm going to be wearing right. something like right. this. So right. it's not like they're seeing me dressed up in a video anyway. Right. So the only time I might dress up a little bit is if I'm going to meet someone and I'm selling their home and they, I kind of stumbled across them or, um, if someone calls me and says, come list my property, I'm showing up like this. If somebody it calls me or if kind of, we kind of cross paths and we don't really know each other. And I'm like, well, do you want me to, you know, how do you want to do this? Do you need help? Blah, blah, blah. And I kind of get the appointment. Right. Then I will dress up a little bit more because they don't really know who I am. So, but when I say dress up more, it's like I'll wear, you know, pants, belt, t- tucked in, button down shirt. I won't wear a tie. It'd just be kind of like a very, kind of laid back, um, God, I don't know the last time I've wore a tie. Maybe a jacket, depending on the weather. Um, I'm not. I'm not planning on this anytime soon. I'd be offended if you don't wear a suit to my funeral. Okay. Um, Tuck that one away for a long time. Okay. Just don't die soon because I I need. need, Not many guys want to play golf at five thirty in the morning. I I understand. Yeah. So well, the uh, so the thing is, if I uh, if I get a suit though, I'm gonna have have to have to have it custom. Not I say custom suit, but custom fit. I mean, I want to go bring it to a tailor. there's, 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 There's a lady. And in Peru, and if you're listening, you're the best. Uh, she can do anything. So I, I don't even go to like the Joseph Bank store. I order a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. I try it on at home. I send back what, what doesn't fit right or what, what, you know, if the material doesn't look as good, look at home in person as good as it did online. Yep. Uh, and they're really good about that. Free, you know, free shipping here, free shipping home. And then I take everything to Ann and she, she, she fits it. She fits it down, uh, you know. You know, for you, me, if I get a suit, you has to, you has to be fitted because otherwise it looks yeah, baggy yeah, yeah. and gross. Yeah. Uh, so anybody listening, now is the time. To All buy. four people listening. Yeah, yeah. The four of you out there, if you're in, the, if you need, if you need something, now is the time to buy menswear because they're literally giving it away because really? everybody's working. Oh, oh my goodness. So like, it, like something that that like Joseph Banks or Brooks Brothers, like their high-end suits. Like Joseph Banks' high-end suit might go for like 1,300 bucks. Brooks Brothers might go for like 2,000 bucks, right? Once a year, you could always catch them like 40% off, 50% off. I've seen some things out there like four top-end Joseph Bank for like 800 bucks, 1,000 bucks right now. Four suits for 800? Yeah, because no one's buying. That's the deal deal I need. First off, no one's going to the store. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying the best thing is to kind of get a get a little bit clothes that you think are going to be probably slightly big, and just have them taken in. Yeah. So if I'm like a normally like a 32 by maybe 34, and ba- maybe if I I used to be a 42s, maybe get a 44s or something. No, you're a 42. Well, I'm probably a little. Well, actually, I I I, I got a little thicker over the pandemic. You were lifting. I was lifting, and then uh, I stopped. Played a lot of golf. Yeah, I think I'm down like twenty to twenty five pounds from what I was. 
I gained like 50 pounds since like the beginning of the year. GT was in shape this golf season, Thick. and he was he was crushing irons until I nicknamed him because he was. I, I started calling him Larry Laser because he, he was crushing me. these irons. And as soon as I, dude, I got bad. We played it. We played a scramble. And I told somebody before the scribble said, we're going to win because I got Larry Lazer on my team. I didn't hit a damn It was the worst day. round of golf Galen played all summer. So this year I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. My goal this year is to break 80. My, 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 no, my goal this year is to be down to a single digit handicap. That's, that's something. That's, that's my goal. I'm going to do something. it. Um, I used to be. I mean, it's not like in, I, I had a guy come on, Alec, and he said, listen, he goes, if you've done it before, you have the capacity to do it again. And I did this 10 years ago when I was in high school. I'm like, and yes, was I playing? Yeah, for sure. But I'm smarter now. I'm stronger now. I'm, I understand golf a little bit more now than I did back then. I just did it because I played a lot so I could get away with. So if I could get down to like a six handicap. That's, that's playing. I don't, I don't think I would play with you if you were a six. Well, that my goal by this year is to be, a, be under 10. That's, I got to get a handicap. I got to actually. I got, I got you set up. With I know. I got to. I got to. I got to take you up on that offer, and I got to get a handicap established so I have a legitimate handicap. My goal is by like end of the season that I'm a single digit handicap. Wow. wow. I think I can do it. That's a personal goal for me because I love golf. I just got away from it, and now I'm getting back into it. And I still like as I'm playing. I'm like I. I still love this sport, even though I got. I took like almost ten years off. I'd say eight. Yeah, I took a long time from because of career. And because of college, so I went to college in New York City, and you just can't play golf in New York City like you can upstate. Have like, you ever played a... No. I played a couple times in Staten Island. Yeah. Which course? That's I played... I Van... I played a Spring something or Silver Spring. Van something. What is that? I can't... It's a Staten Island has three golf courses that I know. I played one in Brooklyn, some, and, it, and each round took literally six hours. You hit, you waited, you hit, you waited... You hit. I mean, it was just not. It was it was nonsense. Because we we're we're spoiled. There's too many golf courses upstate New York. Once you get north of Albany, there's way too many golf courses. I'd for, say there's for, even more south and west. There's a decent amount up here. Like, well, if you're down around the Albany area, there's a lot. Right. Clifton Park, Saratoga. Um, the so when we played the one down in Staten Island, it was great. We went down for the Presidents Cup. This was uh, 2017, and we were playing around. We went there, and uh, on one of the holes, the guy right behind, because it's trippy, because like at one point you're hitting an iron, and right behind the iron is a gate, and right behind the gate is a road, and then there's just buildings. And yeah. you're on a golf course, and you're yeah. like, this is the oddest thing. And then you could be on parts of the course where it just feels like you're back here, because it's just like acres, and you can't see any. I mean, you can like look off and see a building, but it's not right there. So there's some times where it just feels like I'm playing at my home course, until you kind of hit a couple holes where you're like, you're basically hitting a, you know, you're hitting your driver wedged towards buildings and right. you just see traffic flying by. So this one guy behind one of the greens, um, he lives there. That's his house. And he plays every day like Frank Sinatra, like just as like stereotypical New York city. And he just has Frank Sinatra blaring. So like the golf course can mm -hmm. hear it and you only can hear it in like three holes. And it's amazing. It was like the coolest thing when you're playing. That's the first time I ever played in New York City. And you're playing on this little, you know, little Muni, and he's down there playing, uh, you know, the old uh, Frank the Tank Man. And it was great. It was some good stuff. But um, question for you, though, when it comes two questions with financing. Do you really try to push kids to start opening up retirement accounts at a young age? 
Like, do you guys actively go after young? Because when I have, we don't. So we don't actively go at. So this is crazy. I, I know that we do internet marketing, mm-hmm. you know, web-based marketing. We don't go after anybody. All of our young clients are nieces, nephews, coworkers, grandchildren, children of our existing clients. Is does it? I mean, obviously, you guys work in volume. So, like, a kid coming to you to open up like an IRA is not like a big, big ticket person. But do you take it on? Like, hey, if we can get. 20 kids this year opening up Ross that are at the college age. Right. Connor's age, Hannah that works here. Right. Where do they go from there? Where they stay? Because I opened up my Roth at 19. So I look at with just you're like the, you're like in the you're like in the. I don't know this, but I'm gonna, I'm going to say that less than one percent. I would of agree. Of people under the age of 22 have any type of dedicated retirement saving account. Unless they're forced to have one through an employer like a 401k. Yeah, so I didn't. My dad told me about it. I went in a couple thousand dollars, paid the guy back then. And I've been putting in every year, every month, whatever, since 19. And I told like Hannah here, I'm like, listen, you're young. I had met with a kid yesterday, the other day. I'm like, this is what you have to do. Like he's talking about like I want to invest in stuff. And Connor, I want to invest. And Connor's different because he obviously knows the space that you're in. But this other kid, I'm like, listen, you can do that. Have you opened up any kind of like Roth IRA or any kind of retirement account yet? And he goes, no, I haven't. And I'm like 22, 23. I'm like, go find someone now or, you know, and go open that up. Because you, ha- I think you have to at that age just because of the compound effect. My pretty spot on is from like a layman's term. Well, so, so two, t- two things. You're capped as to how much money you can put into a Roth. Yes. Right? Was it 5,500? 6,000. Six. Okay. You can't make up for lost time. So if you don't put 6,000 in for 2019, you can't put extra in in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, you know, there's, for, for the Roth, you know, the big payoff on the Roth is after six, 59 and a half, it's all tax-free money coming out, no matter how much you take out or when you take it out or how much it grows to. But there's income limitations. So, so certain households can't contribute to a Roth IRA forever. Because mm-hmm. once, once your income goes over a certain threshold, you're limited as to how much you can put in or if you can put money into a Roth at all. So it's critical to get the money in when you can and then to have it compound, you know, I think Albert Einstein, I don't know if he necessarily said this, but it's attributed to him, you know, understanding compound interest is critical. You know, that, yes. that's, a, that's so, so to get it in there compounding, it's, it's very important. But uh, it's sadly, uh, I, I don't know all the names of the generations. The current young generation, is it is, Z? I think, is doing better than the two generations in front of it. They're starting earlier. They're more aware of it. Okay. I would agree. I think and that's I, true. I, I, I think two things, just the noise on social security running out potentially, you know, I don't think it's going to, but you know, all the, all the mm-hmm. social security noise, um, the real estate downturn in 2007, eight and nine, mm-hmm. where it didn't really happen up here. Like we were flat up here, but like Florida, California, Nevada, Vegas. Oh yeah. People who watch their parents, you know, 50% upside down in a house. Yeah. You know, there's just no way out. It was never, you know, so, so I think there's a generation of people who are more, hey, look, I have to take control of this on my own and be aware of it and, and be proactive versus, uh, it was, it was a slow shift because, you know, um, I don't have any living grandparents, um, but, but people who, who do, there, there was a generation that retired in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, where it was commonplace in the private sector to have a, have a pension. And pensions of, you know, there's, there's really no private sector pensions anymore. I think 10%, 12% mm-hmm. of private sector workers are covered by some type of, you know, guaranteed income flow. Um, and then, you know, the dynamic of just job change, you know, companies close, you know, a lot or they, or they move and, the, and you can't move because you like the area and the, and the job leaves. So, 
you didn't get the years in to get the pension. So it's become, I think, for this, I guess, Generation Z, uh, they're, 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 they're into it a little bit more. I, th- I think there's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people on social media start talking about financing too. I think that's spiked up things. With, like with the, uh, you know, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Instagram, I think people that if they're following like their favorite YouTube star or following their favorite celebrity and they start talking about, and not, these aren't like movie stars, but these might just be, hey, I'm, I made my money in uh, finance or renting or real estate or whatever. And then they start talking about it. I think a lot of kids, at least I've talked to a few people and like, oh, have you heard of this guy? I heard of this guy. And they kind of put me onto him or her and I start watching and I'm like, oh. They actually are giving some decent advice, but it's cool that kids in their early 20s are looking at these people as these are knowledge-based people that we should be paying attention to. Last thing I want to talk to you about financially, um, day trading. You, you uh, like what's, That's become like a big like thing that people have been doing, day trading. I'm sure it's a buzzword around your industry. Um, obviously, I always look at investing that nobody can prove the market. Nobody can predict the market. Um, I think they've always talked about if you like try to day trade and miss like a handful of days and like the S and P over a certain amount of time, you like substantially lose money. Like, or, you know, I mean, if you miss the best days, but if you just stay in it and just let it ride kind of like index yeah, funds and so, stuff. So this, so yeah. So, so to be in the market, is this our hot take right now? No, this isn't a hot take. This is just, it, it's amusing about this. So I don't day trade by the, right, by the way. Right. So, uh, I don't have time. I, I, I just got a call from somebody who's talking about, well, I, you know, he's like, you know, about, you know, I got your name from somebody, you know, I want to buy two stocks because they're really low and they're going to be awesome in the long term. And they were General Electric and Ford. And I'm like, how do you know? I'm like, you're worth, you know, 20,000 bucks and you want to put 15,000 between these two companies. Ooh. I'm like, you think I'm crazy? You think I'm going to lose all of my like, well, well, let's just say that you don't. And let's just say 10 years from now, those companies have averaged 1%. They just haven't, they've been out-competed, right? Not out of business, but your, you know, 15,000 you want to invest is, is only worth like 18. I said, in the meantime, imagine if you owned a piece of all the stocks around the world and they average the next 10 years what they averaged the last like 100 years, which is right around 11%. And your 15,000 is, you know, I don't know, $42,000. And more He's like, you can do that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, index funds, you know? And, uh, so the idea of, you know, but, but like, let's look at it's the education of it, the education of it, but, but get rich quick just doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, uh, I mean it does, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, guys who can hit a 95 mile hour fastball, 450 feet, 50 times a year. There's guys who can do it. And there's a lot of guys try, but the percentage of guys who can do it out of the guys that have tried that play little league baseball and stuff, you know, it's a very, very, very small percentage. So, uh, you know, very strategic but, investing, you know, so the day trading, uh, well, I, let, let, I want, I want to, I'll, I'll explain day trading this way. This, this, this is, this is why Charles Schwab gives you stock trades for free because they want you to get on there day trade, mm-hmm. right? And say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not good at this. And open a chat window or send an email or pick up the phone and call and say, hey, look, I need some advice. I need Chuck. And Chuck all, now starts charging you, not per trade, but you know, 1% or 1.5% of your assets per year for the advice of how, okay, this is how you really do it. 
And I'm not saying day trading doesn't work. There's, there's people out there who've become millionaires who, who, are, who are day traders. That's a percentage. Like you, you know, being like in the space, reading stuff, you have a knowledge base of it that like would far, far um, outpace anybody like myself or some layman. What would your comfort level be? Half, half of our, half of my family's retirement money and college savings money mm-hmm. are in index funds or funds that are called from using some type of smart beta strategy called from underlying stock market indices. Okay. So that's half of our money. Yep. The other half is not day traded, but the other half are with fund managers who I really like, you know, what the lady does. I like how she runs her fund. So I'm going to, I trust her with her money. She's not day trading. She's, you know, using qualitative or quantitative analysis and building her fund. Uh, uh, so it's with funds or, I think our family owns maybe 20 companies. We don't day trade them, but we might trade in and out. Um, 20 companies that, that we just think are we're, we're cheap, you know, mispriced on the low end or have, have huge, you know, growth. What we think has huge growth potential. Um, so that's that. Yeah. I don't, I don't do So you're aware of like stocks, but you, you, this stock might, you might hold on to for months or years, depending how it's growing or not growing. But you're not like, and they're not like right. every day being like, man, no. they went up 30% today. Now we just dump them and buy this one and dump. Because that's what day trading no. is, right? right? You right. try to get the one day right. quick spike and then. The one minute spike. Because if you can make, if you can make 1% a day, Galen, and the market trades, you know, 20 days a month, 22 days a month, that's 22% a month. And that's, you know, that, that's the theory. All I got to do is make 1%. You know what I mean? Like that's, and, and uh, that's really, you know, it's, it's hard to do. It's, it's hard to do, but I mean, th- there's a reason why Charles Schwab is giving away those trades for free. So there was this yeah. one thing we did back in uh, high school and it was great. We call it the stock market game. And it was, a, it was a, you know, I'm kind of going with this. <clears throat> so we took all the kids in our class, Shazy, not a lot, 50 something kids, put them all up on a list. And it was like, of course, this is me. I'm one of those guys. As soon as you give me a scoreboard, I'm like, okay, gotta win. Me too. I gotta win. So <laughs> this damn thing goes up. So then we're sitting there and I'm like, I'm pumped. Numbers, money, like like business. I'm like, as an 18-year-old, I'm like, let me go at this. And what we found, and a couple of us had hacked this early on, was that the system we were using was like tape delayed. So it wasn't real time. So it was like delayed, meaning if you saw something, it probably didn't pick up for like three or four hours from what was actually happening. So us, you could bet on the horse race after it was over. Basically, awesome. So we basically went in, and you would look up because you could easily go. This was twelve years ago. We would go up and Google, and say, "Stock trends today." Some random company went from three three cents to eight cents or whatever. Hypothetically, three cents to thirty cents. I would sell everything, and I would buy as many shares of that stock as I could. All of a sudden. I say millions, but hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it got to the point, there was like five of us that found this out. So this was it. It was everybody here. And it was like, whoop. And then there's five up here. And we were like outdoing each who, other. Who figured it out? <clears throat> you confessed. I, You're an honest guy. No, I'm trying to think who I, did. I, I, didn't I fi- watched you play a ball out of a lake with crocodiles in it this summer. <laughs> I, I really do take all my strokes in golf. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I if if I tell you I shot a ninety five, I shot a ninety five. I tell you I shot an eighty five, I shot an eighty five. That's this is. I don't. 
If he finds the ball, he'll play it, everybody. He does not take drops. I, yeah, I play, I play the rules of golf. Like my thing, if you're going to go play golf and you're going to take a mulligan and you're going to move your ball around and you're going to improve your lie and you're going to you know, miss a putt and then say, well, it was a gimme, it's not. Like you missed it. It's like if I play how if I was – now, within reason. Like if we're playing, if we're playing golf and – I remember one incident <clears throat> where Galen, Galen insisted, what's the, what's the par three on the back at, at – 12 12 where you were so mad you're like i'm writing three fours down on the card and that's it there was one time i did that because the pin was in an absolutely stupid spot and to be fair all three of us hit good shots in there none of us were even close to this thing and it wasn't i usually don't do that but when we were hitting when our putts weren't stopping near the hole you would get there and just like fall down i'm like that's a clown pin like I'll take a bogey. Most mad I saw you. All, I'll take a, but all, it wasn't. All, all. I do get fired up when the course because my thought with a golf course, golf, as you said with bowling, golf is hard enough for the average person. There's no reason to go put the pins on the ridges of all the holes. I said it's hard enough to get the ball on the green and make a par. Put it somewhere where, it, like in a pro tournament, there's not putting it on the ridge. They're still giving and you the a pin f- was right on the front of the green. There's you, you either, yes, it's you either, on a slope like this. And you either went by it and it rolled back, or you were short and it rolled back. But if you hit a pro, like right. the, the idea is that I think you the ball has to come has to be able to come to rest. I think three feet around a cup. It's a fair. That's but I think that's le- le- legitimate rules of golf. Like when you're at U.S. Opens, like Wingfoot this year, they were testing all the pin positions had to be tested because if a ball couldn't stop within three feet of the hole, didn't Mickelson it was an say he pin. was gonna? Going to take a penalty stroke? He did. Actually, was it this year or last Remember year? Remember he made the putt and was rolling off and he ran remember. back and hit it back right, before it right, stopped? Right. And he said, I'd rather take the two-stroke penalty than have it run down that hill. I, I love Phil because he doesn't care really. <clears throat> Phil's what, a legend. Well, he doesn't care really what anybody thinks. And you no. know, they were giving him a hard time about uh, a number of years ago. They were giving him a hard time about his gambling. Oh, yeah. And he's like. Why? Who cares? Well, no, he did a quick, he did a quick math on it because he had the Ravens. This might have been 20 years ago. When they beat the I know when people started like he had he had the Ravens for like a five hundred dollar win ticket at like fifty to one odds and to win the Super Bowl earlier in the season. So he had a twenty five thousand dollar winner and people, you know, he's betting five hundred dollars on that. And they were talking about him having like a gambling problem or whatever, and he's like, I, I made seventeen million dollars last year. Me betting five hundred dollars is like a guy making hundred and seventy betting like five on a hand of blackjack. He's like, It's it's the it's it's well, you know, yeah, and I remember he used to get like a lot. But he of didn't shit. like defend but, it. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't like. You got to think. Like, you got to think. Those guys that play golf, the guys that play golf on the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. the amount of money those guys play against each other in practice rounds, they've they've all said it. They play it for a good chunk of money, and some don't. Some some are uncomfortable playing for their own money. Which oh, is, some which is some very, are, but they're, they're, which is Phil, very, Phil is always right. betting. If you, oh, oh, I, I would expect that Phil plays better, or Tiger plays better for for, with their, money. for their own money. Take take the match when they have all these money. Like that's Phil's game. Like Phil's got money. Like you talking about real money. What do you think money. the side bet is on that? Well, that's the other thing too. How much did they put up on this that you didn't even right. hear about in the locker room? The uh, so Phil Mickelson, he, he had that stuff or whatever with the like the gambling. I don't think is that big of a deal when you're making that amount of money. But did you see the one when the, the original match was? Did you ever hear the story he told? Um, he didn't tell it, it was, when he played Tiger. When he played Tiger and he beat Tiger, right. and he won ten million or whatever. Right. Now I really wish that was actually their own money being put up and not funded because they, they, if they lost, they just lost ten million. Well, it, I, it, they, I there wonder, was no loss of money. I wonder if they put Tiger and Phil in a room 
and said, what do you guys want to do? We'll write the, you know, the winner's going to say, it's going to be a $10 million tournament, but we'll write the checks out for, for whatever you guys want to do for being here. And I wonder if Tiger was like, well, let's split it six, you know, six, four. Could and be. Phil, and Phil was like, no, we're playing. Oh, that could have been. And, I, and I bet you, I bet you Tiger probably wanted to get a few million out of it. And, and cause it's TV. I mean, who, who knows, who I, knows, you know, they, they could have made the checks out for whatever they wanted. But I, I bet you Phil would have played for it. Like, I think. Nope. Oh, okay. So I actually, well, so I'll tell you the story from that. But the one you just mentioned, I was watching this Arnold Palmer documentary mm-hmm. the other day. And it was like one of those golf classic golf films. And it, uh, Jack and Arnold, and this is Arnold's thing. Or Jack was saying it. He goes, yes, yeah, so we tied to go into a playoff for whatever. And I, I don't know if he was playing. I don't know. I think it was Jack and, and um Jack and, and Arnie went into a playoff and they were playing for whatever the purse was. And they go back in those days, a lot of times you would just, if you're going to a playoff, you'd just say, hey, let's split the purse and we'll play for the tournament. And Jack goes, no, like I'm not playing. I'm not splitting like we're winner take all because that was just the competitive nature. So the story was uh, that Phil, I don't know if Phil told, I think the guy told it about Phil the day after the tournament, this match was Jordan Spieth's wedding. So they go, Phil goes to Jordan Spieth's wedding the day after. And there's obviously multiple golfers there and stuff. And this guy, Jake Owens, I think, is a country singer? I think he is. I might be wrong on that. I think he's, I don't really know him. I think he's, I think he's a country singer. Went up to Phil at the wedding, probably having some drinks and stuff, and said to Phil, have you heard this? And he tells Phil, he's like, familiar. he goes, hey, Phil, uh, just wanted to let you know, I just wasted 30 bucks or 60, but whatever, $30, or whatever charge. That was the worst golf I've ever seen. He goes, that was terrible. He goes, I, thanks for wasting my money. And part of it was like, obviously this guy's got like, he, he's a country oh, this, star. This was the pay-per-view in the stream. The stream, the, the original stream, one. That right, you had to the pay stream came a was year bad, or two ago. It was fuzzy or people didn't get it. Yeah, but they, yeah. they ended up reimbursing right, the money right, for it. Right. Like, because I remember we got money right. back. I'm like, well, right. that's fine. I, it was pretty good. But he was complaining that he had money. Like, that was awful, you guys. Like, you only had four birdies amongst the two of you. That was terrible golf, blah, blah, blah. So Phil, like, reaches into his wallet or whatever, whips out a $100 bill and throws a $100 bill at him and yeah. goes, go after yourself. He goes, I made 90,000 of these yesterday. <laughs> so, like, which is just like, you know, at that point, those guys are just, uh, right. you know, they're so competitive, but they don't care. I mean, they're, you're, you're like you said, five hundred dollars to Phil is like a dollar finding well, on the ground. Well, that's like that's like you know Phil's Phil, and like when Bryson DeChambeau, remember when he broke a club and he was he was a little bit of a baby. Oh, back yeah, back in the day. No, no, no. Just this is a short time ago, a few months. Oh, when he ago. broke Press, his driver head, when he pressed and, down and, on it, and he was and he was. Um, no, it was another tournament where he hit a bad shot or whatever, and things weren't going his way, and he was having a little bit of a meltdown, and he told the you know he wanted the camera off him. You know, take that oh, it was a bunker off. shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, he said something to the effect of, you know, "Why why are you so worried about the camera?" Well, I, I don't want you know, you know, I, I don't want my brand to get damaged. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, and I had this conversation with my father. My father's like, you know, I used to love Bryson DeChambeau. He goes, I, I liked it that he that he was thoughtful about having all the clubs the same length. That he was thoughtful and scientific about about okay, I'm going to stick to this. You know, I'm actually going to you know push a button and get muscles. I'm going to yeah. really do the work. Yeah. And become a big ball hitter, right? He's like, he was, I lost all respect for when he's worried about his brand. He's like, that fool, and I, I agree with this. Yeah. He's like, he showed that he was human. And certainly, there were going to be some teetotalers who thought that him acting like a jerk on TV, you know, they were never going to be Bryson DeChambeau fans. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a ton of people who are like, wait a minute. 
He's just like me. He gets mad. He's competitive. You know, he's not always trying to show his good side. Yeah. Like, and that, that I think that would have been better for his brand. The, re- the reason I like Bryson is because nobody, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And it, we, in that regard, well, he does, but, did, yeah. but, it, but it came out and I'm like, right. I don't care. Like, right. dude, like he's getting fired up. He's winning. He's drinking protein. He's just doing his thing. And he's like, like, I'm like just going to crush it. And I'm like, like dude, when, go when, for it. When Tiger was young, now his, you know, his marital stuff and just kind of what, what, what a dirtbag he was, I, you know. I don't support that at all. <laughs> and I root against him because of how he acted. You know, I, I root against him nonstop now. But but when he first came out and he was smashing clubs and swearing and, and you, you know, they, yeah, they, they, they'd, they'd catch him on, you know, on, on a hot mic, you know, blanking this and blanking that after a shot. Uh, Those are the best. I liked it because it's like, hey, look it. That's what I do too. Yeah. Like, yeah. He gets hot. He's, he's he's passionate about it. He's revved up. You know. That's what I like. I don't like the guys that are just like monotone and polished. I like the unpolished thing, which is why Tom Kite mouthing, not even saying the word mouthing, thank you when he walked off the green. Remember Tom Kite? Did he say that? Dude, my favorite. My favorite is when the guys just get all fired up and are like, throw, like that's why like Dustin Johnson like doesn't say much, but he right. like if you ever watch like Dustin Johnson interviews, he's funny. Yeah. He's just like one liners, and whenever they asked about the par. What's the par at Augusta? Because Bryson said something about it was the 67, yeah. which I honestly agree. That was my hot take going in that he was playing a 67 course, right. but I wouldn't have said that in well, the press was conference. Way, he was way over then. Yes, what well, he did terrible. Yeah. But Dustin Johnson, like, so what's the par for you? Is it 72 or is it is it lower? Because they wanted him to say something like Bryson. He goes, he goes, oh, I don't know what you mean. And they said something about, well, you know, is it lower? Are you playing like a 67, 68 course? And he goes, well, when you add the numbers up, it's 72. That's what par is, <laughs> but Dustin Johnson's like right. so like oh well, no right. it's like right. what's on the co- the card I don't know it's seventy two like I got to play a seventy two course right like who cares if you shoot sixty seven but what? Bryson was like well here's the other thing it's not really they list the score in relation to par exactly but like I think what Bryson was they saying could is add that up, he, but he they're gonna add up the, I guess what he was saying is you know they're gonna add up the strokes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The, par, the par's, par's, par's hundred. Okay, you're fifty under. Par's two hundred. Okay, yeah, exactly. You're, you're it's irrelevant. It's what you shoot. Right. So, right. It's uh, it was it was funny, but just, the way Dustin Johnson just said it was kind of like, well, if you add him up, it's seventy two. Like it's a dumb question. Just like, but um, Andy L, we're gonna end there. Always a pleasure. This has been only one train. One train. We've been blessed. I don't. I don't know. I actually, when I first moved in, I started to try to mark down when the trains were time wise. They were never consistent, so I gave up. I just know usually when I do a morning podcast, a train will come around. Usually around that like ten thirty mark. This well, is spot on. Well, GT, this has been great. Happy holidays. Thank you. We'll, we'll, to Kavanaugh Realty. We'll get you uh, all the Trombleys. I do like that now the gate's gone between the two. Yeah, it's nice just to kind of like wander. I don't mind leaving that door. You can open that door. We have a double lock door between us. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, very rarely do I. I usually like wander in or I got to wander up to BBG. But it's good. It feels like it's like a. Like what do we call it? the the Bridge Street Boys? Did you see the also the uh, sign that I took from the golf tournament up there? Do you like that? Remember I took that from, and I think Christy ended up emailing me. She goes, "Did you take our sign?" I'm like, "Yeah, for sure." Why do they want to use that next year? I don't know. Oh. Well, well, they, they can. can. I'll bring it back. Yeah. I'll bring it back. Twenty bucks. They can lease anything. It's, it's, a, so, it's a solid. Uh, it's a solid team. Looks good. Some good logos. No, we're at, we have a real. Do you got a logo now? We have a real logo. I was kind of shitting on you a little bit because of the logo, but that's fine. Now we got the LP. Here's the thing about the LP. And this is, we, we have a lot of clients that are retired mm-hmm. that are golfers. And they tell us that the L, just a plain LP mm-hmm. is brilliant because everybody asks, what's the LP? And they do. 
Everybody asks me that. What's LP stand for? And I'm like, my father's got a couple of them. And you know, they're, the other thing is, is like you, you said, they're nice shirts. So, so people look at, oh, what's LP? Where'd you get? You know, what, what's it that? is a nice shirt. And so we get a plug from we get a little 10 second advertisement every time somebody wears. And technically, if your dad mentions it, they can still work with you. Do you work with people out of out of the area or no? Like can you you have you oh, could have clients oh, we, out of. Out I don't want I don't want to say a lot, but 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 you could we have no no we do we do have clients all over the country. Okay, yeah, that's why. So I'm like. That's the one thing that's hard for us real estate wise because we're we're right. we're boxed in geographically. Like I can't sell in Vermont. I can sell anywhere in New York State. But if you're like, hey, can you go show me property in Syracuse? Like, no, it's not worth my time. Like I, I don't I can't you know, unless I know you're like you pull out the iPad. And you're like, here, this is what it looks like. Yeah, like if you if right. if if, right. if I had a friend that said, hey, I want to buy a house in Albany, and I'm gonna go down on Saturday, and I want to look at 15 homes, and I will buy one of them. I'll go down. Right. But if you're like, I just want to go look at a few homes. I don't know. I may not like them. Then I'm like, oh, I'll just get a referral fee. But I, like lenders, you, other people, you guys literally can just like lend. And, Actually, and- not all. So we have to be licensed in the state where the client, where we're, where we're calling or writing. So if, the, if we know the client's going to be in North Carolina, we got to be North Carolina registered, so, which is not, which is not, com- it's simple to do. So um, it's not an entirely new license to do. Correct. Uh, the, the federal license, it's all at the national level, mm-hmm. licensing. Insurance is still at the state level. That's a little clunky. But once you're licensed, financial industry, national regulating authority, you just have to basically pay a processing fee to get approved approved in, in different states, which is a, just a, it's a cash grab, I think. Because uh, real estate sucks. Because if I go right. to Vermont, I got to take a whole nother course yep. to get licensed, yep. which uh, is like blows my mind. The thing that's really interesting to me is uh, the banks, given just the way people you know, lending, banking is, is a relationship thing, just like finance and real estate. Mm-hmm. A lot of local banks do not do mortgages outside of their footprint. I would say, yeah. And I know some that do. Not very. But not many. Not many. Yes, you're right. And, you know, so so our, our, our pal down the street here, uh, we, we have a, a few clients that they want to buy in Florida. Mm-hmm. And my aunt, she wants to move from Florida to, to buy a house near her sister, my other aunt in, in Virginia. And like calling me like up in arms, like, I don't have a bank in Virginia. I don't have a bank in Florida. And I'm going to be down there this winter and I want to buy. And, you know, I don't, I, if it's a sunny day, I want to spend my time, you know, living, not establish myself with a bank. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you don't have to get the mortgage on the house from the bank down the street. You can, Get it right here in Plattsburgh, New York. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to so and so, or I went to the credit union, and they don't do banks. It's like, well, well yeah, we got you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's he's made us look like um, a couple of people here that, that do out of state mortgages. Connected. Look like really connected. It's like, look at just just bring a couple of years of tax returns and income. You know, bring your your paste well not paste up, but like social security yep. statement and pension statement and stuff down there. And when you're ready, you just Giddy call up, them up, make and, it happen. You know, have, have, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's it just, to me, it's it's amazing that every Every firm, every bank doesn't do out of state. Oh, mortgages. for sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think that's such a big land grab. I wish we could do it. We can do kind of some stuff with that real estate wise, but me physically going and show right. homes, it's tough. Could I list well, a home somewhere? It's for sure. Time. You know, it's it's really time, time. and that's that's where uh, like Han and I aren't real aren't gonna go to Buffalo and tell somebody we're gonna come down and meet with you once a year or anything like that. But you know, if our client here gets a job in Buffalo, like a SUNY mm-hmm. professor, you know, winds up in Buffalo or, or SUNY Buffalo, you know, just in part of the same system. You know, we, we pretty proud that we've retained a lot of that business when people leave town or. And you could probably 
Skype them or Zoom call or whatever with them? Is that is that legal in the financial world? Yes. Okay. Yes. I know that financing and banking is always kind of weird, but how we communicate. You know what's really weird? We can Zoom and we use we use our Zoom program comes through our, our service that we have through Ring Central. Ring Central just procures it through Zoom. Mm-hmm. It's funny that we can Zoom, but we can't have our for whatever reason the chat feature activated. So we can talk and see each other. But Isn't we there stuff like you can't, can't text, text clients either? So it used to be we can't text clients because texts weren't like supervised. Mm-hmm. Any outgoing communication correspondence could you know has to be supervised. And for whatever reason, it's hard to capture phone texts. And just, just last year, early last year, uh, Securities America created this relationship with a company. Um, they have this special app where we can now text. But what, what, they're, you know, what, they're, what they're worried about is us saying something that we can't back up. Mm-hmm. Mis- you know, we guarantee it. You know, we <laughs> 22% guaranteed, you know, something like that. And that needs to be, yeah. it, it needs to be supervised. Or if a client ever came back and said, hey, look, they said this and they can't find the text. The client's got the text right there. You know, what do you, what do you, what do you do? So, yeah, well, great. Hey, all, all, in, Andy, all, all businesses are crazy. I was going to say a little yeah. wild, but Andy Lamano, if people need to find you, give a plug. Where can they find LP? Lamonto Provost Financial Advisors. Right next to Kavanaugh Realty in the train station. 121 Bridge Street, Suite 101, Plattsburgh, New York. Beautiful. That's it. Or online at lpfinancialadvisors.com. Beautiful. All right. Andy Lamonto, episode 109, um, professional bowler, bowler um, A-lister. This is semi-professional, semi-professional. Um, I would say above average golfer, above average amateur golfer, and uh, all around good guy. And uh, yeah, good dude. Um, I think that's it. 109. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.